Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, you are back. Yes. How are the Saints? What? Come on. Man. Sorry, sorry. That was me. That was really me. Wow. Yeah, I mean, those two games were insane. So, yeah, we did we did Death Valley on um, Saturday night, and then we did uh, the noon <laughs> the noon kickoff for the Saints game, which turned into – if that I was telling Brittany, if that had been a postseason game, that would have just been Malice in the Palace. Like, that was the most insane uh. in-person thing I've seen because, like, you know, like three fights broke out. And, like, we saw Mike Evans swing. We saw all that. But it was, you know, the weekend was amazing. That was um, one of the best times I've ever had in Death Valley. I was joking with everybody around us that there was no better way to endear himself with LSU fans than be in a 6 nothing game with Mississippi State late in the third quarter. That was yeah. the most Les Miles game I have ever witnessed in my entire life. And Les Miles was here for 10 years. I was sitting there. I was like. Everybody was like kind of freaking out. I was like, guys, we've seen this game 10 times before. You guys know how this game ends. It's like the fact that the offense didn't get going too late. But yeah, I I was so impressed with Matt House and the, and the game plan he had. And then at the same time, the, um you know, the trust that Jaden had in himself to just yeet the ball down the field on fourth down. Yeet and have his, just yeet it. Just just send it. Like to go for it on a fourth down and then put it in your quarterback's hands. He's been struggling all day. And he just nails this receiver and stride. You're just like. Yeah, we got it. We got it figured out. So it was an electric weekend. It was exactly everything I could have hoped for. Like I said, you love that little well, bit of nostalgia. Well, uh, I mean, Saints win. You know, yeah, not not everything, but listen, the NFL wants Tom Brady to beat the Saints. They've done their absolute best to make that happen. So the fact oh. that we're now four and two, I think, is insane. Now, I don't think anyone else can say that about Tom Brady. So you know, I, yeah, for for LSU, we were. I was telling you know, my boys, it's like we're not we're a home underdog in this game. Everyone adjust your expectations because no one wants no one picked us on game day except for Luke Combs, Chonky King. Shout out Luke know? Combs, the man. <laughs> So yeah, it was it was just a great weekend, man. Got to got to got to hang out with the boys, show some people Death Valley for the first time. So yeah. The NFL wants Tom Brady to beat the Saints. The SEC wants Georgia to have the easiest schedule ever. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going down that road. I, I, I'm, I'm pushing back on that one big time, and I, I hate it just because like so many people complain about Georgia's schedule, and it's like, you, well, you realize they're like a massive favorite because they've risen to this level of success, right. and they actually schedule non-conference teams. And if you don't believe that, go look at their future non-conference schedule. It's not their fault. They had to take Oklahoma off. The whole deal. We don't need to get into that. We are going to do things just a touch differently today. I refuse to complain about any Saturday slate. We will not do that, especially post week zero, right? But do not, I, I am not anti week four. Yeah. <laughs> the potato skins on your, on your table. Don't complain. They're there. Just take yeah. it. I'm not anti week four. I'm not. I'm, I want that on record. But we've only got three games in the SEC with spreads that are less than 20 points, four conference games total. So instead of previewing every single one of those games involving SEC teams like we usually do with the exclusion of the FCS games, we're just going to do picks and over-unders for those four SEC games that we're going to have Tim Tebow, Alyssa Lang. They're both going to join us. Plus, we will hit on some of those other games in Bold and Brash Week 4 SEC QB edition. Any complaints or would you want me to go in depth about New Mexico against LSU and how it's kind of wild that LSU faced Zach Arnett's defense in the 3-3-5 one week and then his mentor's defense, Rocky Long, they get to face the next week? Weird setup. 
See, this is this is how I know you've been paying attention. Hey, shout out, I, I sent you this tweet last night. I'm such a psycho about like Madhouse running a two, three, six. I was yep. like, oh yeah, Harold Perkins and a three tech. Like I was just like so excited. Yeah, no, that I'm I'm all for that. This is this is gonna be yeah, this is exactly what you want in the slate is spin zone because you know exactly what to watch. <laughs> we have good yes, good point. We have good games. It's not that we don't have good games, it's just that the depth isn't necessarily there. A problem that many teams in the SEC are dealing with this year. <laughs> Before we get to the rest of the pot, um, got to got to talk about our good friends at Texas Pete. You know yes, I love sir. a good Texas Pete ad. Well, I put Texas Pete on my eggs every single day. They had yep. a tweet that was just for me. It was basically a tweet saying, "Connor, I need you to respond to this tweet. How many of y'all put your Texas Pete on eggs?" I'm like, "It me. <laughs> that, that I am that guy. Yeah, everybody knows that I am that guy. Mm-hmm. I am sitting here waiting, um, like looking at the door outside because I'm expecting to get a package from Texas Pete." And I've checked multiple times throughout every single day. And when I get that package, it's going to be like Christmas morning. I cannot wait for that package to come from Texas Pete. Connor, but, would you say you're like the it's corn kid with Texas Pete? I'm up there. I'm maybe not quite at that level because I'm not a viral sensation yet. Yeah. But in terms of the love of the product, yes, I am the it's corn kid. And the fact that that made the rounds on so many different Nebraska circles just, just joyed my heart. It really was. It was great. But all they've got is the love for corn. Anyway. Yes, they do. Texas Pete has the spice and flavor that's kicking this football season up a notch. If you haven't tried the original hot sauce or their new traditional barbecue sauce, run. Do not walk to grab yourself a bottle today. Visit TexasPete.com for recipes and hot apparel. See what they did there. Plus, take 20% off your entire order with the promo code Saturday Down South. That is all one word, all caps. Saturday Down South. Win big with Texas Pete when you sauce like you mean it. Let's start with Mizzou and Auburn. Auburn's a seven-point favorite. The over-under I have four times a variation of the word hot seat. Well, phrase is said on the broadcast. Probably going to be more. Probably. Ugh. I tried to avoid it on the recap pod. We were talking about this a little bit before you came on. In some ways, I think it's sort of the lazy thing to do to just talk about how every single loss could seal a coach's fate. And, you know, I just thought there was more to that game over the weekend with Auburn and Penn State than simply, well, what's Brian Harson's future? I get it. That's the overarching takeaway, but let's actually kind of dissect how they got to this point. But I'll be honest, this is the only time, and correct me if I'm wrong here. This is the only time I can remember a year two coach facing a must-win game in a conference opener. Can't think of any others. Really can't. Even Willie Tiger getting fired, you know, middle of year two, it wasn't like it was a must-win game when they kicked off ACC play, right? You know, Chad Morris, same thing. It's not like he's in a must-win game to start off SEC play. But with Harson, man, if Auburn loses at home, he's not making it through the weekend. He's just Sorry, not. That's a, that's a good one. I, I'm really trying to think about it. It's almost like the ones that have been worse have been so much worse that their expectations weren't even that it was possible to win this type of a game. Yeah, yeah, especially in the SEC. It's like because none of the big programs have really had guys move around like that. Uh, yeah, I think uh, yeah, Auburn's a very unique place. I feel very very unique. Morehead wasn't on the hot seat entering the SEC opener year two. I didn't even sure. know he was on the hot seat until you know we had that awkward thing on Feinbaum with the AD, and you're just like, oh, okay, all right, things have changed. But um, 
look, I'm not saying that that's fair. And I'm not saying that that's, this is what I would do. We're just, we're trying to read the tea leaves as much as possible here. I'm basing that take on everything I've read from people like Justin Hokinson and Tom Green who cover the team. And they, they have people that they talk to at Auburn who are ultimately going to be making this decision. This was never, and it's never going to be, it doesn't look like a decision that's left up to an athletic director. Um, that's not the way that it works at Auburn. We know that that's been well-documented. This is one bad Saturday visual away from being over for Harson. I don't know if he knows that. He better. Multiple outlets reported that TJ Finley will not be starting on Saturday because of a shoulder injury and that Robbie Ashford is going to be getting his first career start. Read into that what you will. A gift, as some would say. Starting, some the, say. The, be- starting the better quarterback. Oh, no. Heavens, no. Yeah. Oh, I guess we're going to have to turn to him now. Okay. They turned to him when they were down 24 to six in that game. I thought that was pretty telling. If you ask me, Ashford's going to get a chance to get the full rhythm of a game, or at least I hope he will, because don't you know it? Zach Calzada might get a shot, might get in there. (laughs) I don't know how bad it has to get for Zach Calzada to finally play, but that's maybe the situation that we're talking about. And actually, I don't want to see that. If I'm Harson, Calzada is only coming in if it's a really bad first half and the game needs saving. I don't want him coming in to trade reps with Robbie Ashford. Let him get into the flow of the game. If you could say what say what you want about Finley, but I thought like some of the best moments in his game, they would bring in Ashford right after them. And I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? Let him actually get some confidence. Even though I wanted to see Ashford, I didn't want to see him in those moments. You know, the the ultimate sicko move, right, would be Auburn goes down like 10-0 early, and you just hear, you know, I need a hero playing, and Zach Calzada, like, takes off the warm-ups and just starts chucking out there. You're like, oh, my gosh, he's, he's going to come in and save the game. That's That song gets played uh, way too much. Wasn't that on the, the Spider-Man soundtrack back in the day? Am I thinking of the wrong song? I, yeah, I think you're thinking of the the Daredevil soundtrack with a different like Chad Kroger song. But you're mm. you're there was a superhero movie with a song, so I'll give you credit same vibe. Same yeah, vibe. exactly. Okay, I saw the quotes on Nail.com that Harson talked about the the process and how getting waxed by Penn State was just a matter of execution. He made no mention of not having enough talent, which I actually think coaches are at the college football level. Are, are actually pretty good and they're more willing to admit when there is a talent disparity. Everybody knows the Shane Beamer 105 stars thing with Georgia last year. We've seen mm-hmm. some spots where coaches are just willing to say, we don't have talent right now. Even Jeremy Pruitt was willing to admit, we don't have talent to beat Georgia at, at the place that we were at. And, you know, his first year, or I guess that was year two, where he's crying in the postgame press conference. And he's like, you know, I saw so much promise and I, I'm going to make sure I'm going to promise that we do everything we can to get enough talent on the field so that this doesn't happen again. And then, mm-hmm. you know, Pruitt happens ultimately. But still, coaches are willing to admit when they don't have enough talent. I don't think Brian Harson is ever going to be that guy. I just don't. Mm-hmm. The good news for Harson, this won't be a talent disparity. This is Mizzou, is in yes. the team who is minus 148 in 10 true road games under drink. That's right, minus 148. So they lose by an average of 15 points, essentially. Remember, only non-Vandy true road win was that disastrous South Carolina team in 2020 that they beat. That's it. Um, those are also the only two instances in which Mizzou recorded anything but a road loss of at least six points. Why six points? Because the spread is seven, and that's what we're talking about. I am taking Auburn because I think I think Auburn is going to have some sort of fight. And even if they're a bit one-dimensional, you would take that. You would say, give the ball to Tank Bigsby 25 times. Give the ball to Jarquez 110, 15 times. 
I still think that should be enough against this Mizzou team that really does not have an offensive identity yet. One more thing. This is something that my buddy Trey Wallace wrote about uh, over at Outkick. We've had him on the show. I know that and I've seen some others reference this as well. And Will, we're going we're gonna to go down memory lane for you. Oh, boy. I don't think this is quite like 2016 Tiger Bowl. I don't think this is quite LSU-Auburn. Loser, loser coach gets fired. Yep. What? I knew exactly. What a game. Yep. I remember watching that at the old SDS offices and the way that that finished with the, the, <laughs> the, the go back, put time on the clock, like that whole thing was just, or what What did the play count? Did it not count? Um, I don't think this is that. I, I don't. We, we kind of forget that Drink came into year three, eight and 10 against SEC competition, right? He rose above expectations with the COVID year in 2020 with a really brutal schedule. And last year, yeah, they did some things that were frustrating. It's been a bad start this year. They were a very obvious sixth in the East pick, I think, coming into this season. So the mood isn't necessarily great, even though I do think it's worth remembering that the AD who hired him is gone. That is always important in these things. I think any sort of decision to fire him would only come if Mizzou is sitting there in mid-November without any sort of shot to go to a bowl game and Drink has had some bad press conference moments and it just looks like everything is a total disaster. So I, I think it's more likely that Drink gets a year four and his team continues to struggle away from home. Will, Auburn has to show some signs of life in this one, right? One would one would hope. You know, I, I think that it's really funny you talking about Missouri being bad in road games because they, of course, have that sicko AD who just keeps shipping them around the country. Like, they were at Boston College last year. so <laughs> New AD now, though. New AD. No, so. no, I know, I know. It's just very funny that it's like, of all teams that wouldn't travel well or struggle on the road, it's like, yeah, they, I think they played a game at UMass back in the like, 2016, if I remember correctly. Like, they, they're always doing the yeah, but yeah, I I personally think on this one, man, like, it, I, I, I just feel like I've said this before. It's been right and wrong about Auburn, but Harson, there's a couple of coaches that are just back against the wall, guys. And it feels like Harson is that type of guy. Hmm. And I, I feel like where they're at right now, like you said, this is a must win game. And he's already had the easy work done for them, which is that TJ Finley is not playing in this game. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think to your point, it's like, you know, you have to have something you can rely on. And for the Mizzou, it's kind of been the run game. But for Auburn, it's like, you have a dynamic quarterback. Just let him do that. Like, we see that at LSU. It's like, this guy is a really good runner. Just get him to run the ball a little bit, you know? Yeah, I, I don't know what the game plan w- is going to look like for for Ashford because I do think they, they don't want to just be entirely one-dimensional. Right, right, yeah. Even though with those unproven receivers, they still want to get them involved. You want to be able to take some pressure off a tank. You don't want him necessarily running into a brick wall every other play. And if, if they take some chances in, pe- in play action, it would not surprise me at all. Try and get Mizzou over pursuing a little bit. But I, I think this is still a game in which I, I got to think, I got to think that after the week that's been with Auburn hearing about how bad they were, that they come out with a little bit of fire and the home fans you know, if this if this were a road game, if we're talking about Auburn playing at Mizzou, this would be yeah. like, oh yikes! This yeah. is you could totally see an instance, just like with Florida last year, going on the road against Mizzou and Mullen gets fired that weekend, where you could definitely see Drink was just kind of feasting on that and mm-hmm. and kind of delivering the dagger. But I don't think that will happen. In this one being played at Auburn. Yeah, I, I got. I, I would. I think I have Auburn covering as insane as that sounds because it's like, you know. 
Last week already happened for Auburn. So you really can't I hate to say it, but like as an Auburn fan, it's like we've already had that bad home loss. We get we have some things hopefully we would take away from that. And yeah, as I actually really like Auburn in this game because like like we were talking about, they have Tank Bigsby, they even have the better running back. Yeah. So I just I just want to believe that those sweet people in Auburn are gonna finally have something to cheer about. Agreed. Florida, number 20 in the country right now against Tennessee. Great one in Rocky Top. Tennessee sitting there, number 11, knocking on the door of the top 10. Tennessee is a 10.5-point favorite. The over-under I have is 28 Tennessee points. Why do I bring that up? As I'm sure you've heard, if you're listening to this podcast, Tennessee is 1-16 against Florida dating back to 2005, which was Tebow's senior year of high school. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Shout, Shout out, out McNeese. McNeese. Yeah, Nice, not Mc. Oh, I always want to call it Mcneese because Mcneese State. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always want to do that. It's Nice, of course. Two days. How can we forget that? Great course, episode. Yeah. Great episode. <laughs> uh, in that stretch, how many times has Tennessee hit twenty-eight points against Florida? Oh man, they have had some offensive stinkers. That coach. Uh, you said you said in seventeen games. Seventeen games. How many times has Tennessee hit twenty-eight points against Florida? I'm gonna say. I'm going to be nice. Uh, you know what? Four. Final answer. You're too nice. You're way too nice, oh, Will. Oh, no. <laughs> Uno. Just the one. Just the one. 2016. Yeah, that's it. And, of course, that was the year that Tennessee beat Florida. Yep. Can you name the starting quarterbacks of that game? The starting quarterbacks, and you said 2016? Yes. Let's see. So, oh, gosh. 2016 would have mm, – was that was it Appleby at Florida? Yes, it was. And then, I mean, it would have been Dobbs, right? That's – yes. Boom. Nailed it. Mm-hmm. Better question. How many scrimmage touches did Alvin Kamara get, even though Tennessee somehow hit 38 points in this game? You know, I'll, I that feels like a solid Bush Jones game plan. So we're going to be nice and say 10. Will, you're too nice. <laughs> Bye. Will, he had three. Jalen Hurd. Why? Why? Yeah. Why play Alvin Kamara in a football game? The leading, know. the leading touchdowns responsible for players since he joined the NFL. Why do that? <laughs> I tried to make sure that this wasn't a game in which he got hurt or something like that. I tried to search it. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong in this regard, but I didn't, I didn't see anything necessarily. I was trying to think back. He was out touched by Jalen Hurd, twenty eight to three. In this one, which is just <laughs> a wild thing to think about. In Butch's defense, Kamara did have six punt returns in this game, so. Obviously, he was used properly. Wasn't Special just sitting teams, on the sideline. Ace. We call that Wee Fence back at Hoover, right, Connor? Yep, exactly. As for this game, I'm fascinated to see how Florida comes out. Mm-hmm. We talked about it a little bit later in the Tebow interview. I wrote about what Billy Napier does in order to get Anthony Richardson right. What What is that equation? What does it look like? I can say that Florida needs to be a ground-heavy team until I'm blue in the face, and I probably will. <laughs> but at some point... You need your quarterback to not be a liability throwing the ball because fair or not, I don't really think the defense is going to be good enough to allow this offense to be one dimensional. Certain teams can get away with that. Certain teams cannot, you know, like 2020 A&M was able to get away with being super one dimensional because they had a smart enough quarterback, but they had a really good defense as well. And that worked just fine. I don't know that Florida can necessarily follow that formula, at least not to be able to get to the places that they want to go in year one. We knew that Florida's receivers weren't necessarily going to make life easier on Richardson because they've got a handful of guys who are nice players. Ricky Pearsall, nice player. Justin Shorter, uh, all right. He's fine, but he's not a go up and get it guy. He's not going to consistently like, I mean, he can do that for you maybe a couple times over the course of a game, but 
Is he going to consistently get separation? I think at this stage of his career, we can say no, probably not. Barring some sort of meteoric rise a la Cedric Tillman, I don't see that happening. If you look at the the passing the the passing flow chart game by game, SEC StatCat had this. It's still a bit of a mystery with Richardson, like of of what he's good at. You know, like, you, you see the moment his best passing play of the year was an improvised play in which he clearly traveled. I mean, there's a traveling violation. I don't know how they call that. Yeah, hit him with a <laughs> little hizzy. Hey, uh, yeah. if you so if you look at what he did against Kentucky, one for six on passes that traveled twenty yards. And he was only one of four on passes in the middle of the field. The majority of his completions were to his left, and they were less than 10 yards past the line of scrimmage. His average depth of target in that Kentucky game was also 10.9 yards. Against Utah, 6.5. So are the shorter passes what he needs to get going? I mean, that number would suggest, yeah, but maybe not because he lacks that touch. So it's kind of hard to figure out what his high percentage throws really are. His progression in this one is really, really interesting. No matter what, though, it kind of feels like Florida's path to winning will be dependent on Richardson making a few incredible plays, whether they're on script or off script, whatever they are. And then we expect Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne to be huge factors as well. Mm -hmm. For Tennessee, you got to have this one. You have to have this one. You just do. This is your chance. This is your chance to finally turn this rivalry around. And I'm not saying that you're going to turn around for good just by having one game, but you got to get off that hamster wheel. You've been on it for pretty much every year of the post-Bulmer era. Yep. Great stat from uh, from our friend Brandon Zimmerman over at SEC Network. Tennessee's a 10.5-point favorite, which is nearly double the biggest margin they've been favored against Florida in the last 25 years. That's crazy. In other words, Tennessee's most lopsided game as a favorite was being a five and a half point favorite back in 2002. First year post Spurrier, Tennessee's number four in the country, and they got smacked 30 to 13 at Neyland. I don't think history repeats itself, but what a deflating thing that would be for Tennessee with game day in the house for the first time in six years. You got the CBS game. In fact, game day was in Knoxville last for the Florida game 2016. So maybe history will repeat itself because Tennessee won that day. As for this year, I want to see if that Tennessee defense can stay on the field against a team that can run the ball a ton. We've talked about how difficult it is with the hypo offense to play complementary football. Pitt threw the ball 44 times against Tennessee. And that was even though Slovis got hurt in that game, which in hindsight, pretty big mistake. And I realize they're trailing at certain points in that game and you got to be able to throw, but I thought their tailback was rolling, and I can't pronounce his last name, but he was really, really good. <laughs> this sounds like a, a name he would have a uh, fixation on. I believe it was uh, Benacanda. Oh, you know what's funny? You're looking at the box score of that game thinking, wow, that's a lot of passing attempts. I'm looking at that box score right now going, wow, that was a lot of rushing attempts. Because you're right. They had 44 passing attempts and 38 rushing attempts. That's just a lot of plays. That is non-complimentary football is what we're, what we're realizing at the same time here. Yeah, fair. I mean, Mark Whipple's not at Pitt anymore. So I guess that is, I mean, compared to what Pitt fans have known, that, that yeah. is actually running the ball a lot for them. But yeah. uh, still, I, I kind of came away from that being like, God, yeah, that, that felt like they could have run the ball even more and not necessarily put it in the hands of a, of a backup quarterback who was on one leg. But this is going to be a different type of game, I think, for that Tennessee defense than any that they've had so far this year. I think this one stays close. I expect chunk plays from both teams, as does Vegas, clearly, because the over-under for this one's 62. That's a whole oh, lot of boy. points. Yeah, that's a big old number. I expect Tennessee to come out firing. 
that familiar second quarter lull that we always talk about, I think it hits. And I don't think Florida ever lets that Tennessee lead balloon past 14 points. Could be one of those games where it's like, you know, they they start like trading touchdowns and it's like 14-7, 14-7. Like that's, that's the type of margin. I close my eyes and I picture Tennessee being up 35-28, just sitting right over the over-under right there, right? At 63 mm-hmm. points, that'd be. And then Anthony Richardson needs to put a two-minute drive together, but he makes an awful throw for a pick to give Tennessee the win. So balls win by a touchdown. We have never seen such a thing, Connor. In fact, we have a little bit too much, and Florida fans would agree with that. Several times. Yes, yes. (laughs) Sorry. So Tennessee wins the game, but I think Florida covers plus 10.5. That number feels a little bit too big, given what we've come to expect from this rivalry. Have I sipped too much orange Kool-Aid, Will? Uh, yeah, it's I'm I'm sitting there. I'm pretty much we are aligned on this one. I feel like you have two things going on for Tennessee, right? You have a rush defense that has been, you know, it was almost I feel surprisingly good last year. I feel like their defense was uh, the reason why they were a little bit better than we. Better than I thought. Yeah, but yeah, and and now you know you look at that pit game, which we both kind of have scheduled or circled as a little bit of a preview, and you know they struggled to contain an offense that didn't have the starting quarterback for you know a little bit over like. It, you know, Slovis played a little bit more than I remembered, but it was a lot of the game didn't have him. You know what I'm saying? So point being, uh, you, you have you have two different things, right? You have this run defense that hasn't been great. Um, and <laughs> to your point about the complimentary football, I was I was agreeing with you. It's the fact that that's the downside of Hypel, right? Is that they get up and down the field so quickly. The other offense is causing that defense to be on the field. This is the defense that didn't really struggle with that last year. They were just like, fine, we can, we can at least – shut down the run. We have Alante Taylor. We have a couple of dudes here and there that can kind of get us through this storm that is the other side of the, the hyper office. But in that Pitt game, you know, I think Pitt's a fine team. They obviously had that wild one against West Virginia, but it was pretty obvious they were going to be one-dimensional when Slovis went out and they still kind of couldn't contain um, our boy about a Canada. Uh, but on the other side of that, you have obviously the Tennessee home field advantage. And then like, as, as uh, you know, I could be so wrong about this on Sunday, but it just feels like Hendon Hooker is such a uh, uh, has so much more under his belt. I'll just say he has more more experience than AR. Let's just say it that way. Anthony Richardson, no AR anymore, but he 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 has so much more experience, and he's been in enough of these games that are back and forth games. Whereas, like you said, the back and forth part of Anthony Richardson is like, which one of those games has he won? USF. Um, <laughs> like I think that when you start to get into the back and forth with that guy who has shown that he can make these kind of costly mistakes at the worst times. And and I feel like not to like go in a whole thing, but the reason why I was excited for this pairing, you know, talking about um, UL Billy Napier coming in and running that same system is that, you know, he had this quarterback who was a little bit limited, but could move a little bit on the run and could hit these open receivers. And we haven't really seen that as much out of Richardson. It feels like the the successful plays have been off script. It's not like they're designing. Agreed. It's the same thing that I keep saying, and I feel like a broken record. You know, uh, Greg Roman, the offensive coordinator in the NFL, he's the one that was Colin Kaepernick's offensive coordinator, and now he's with Lamar Jackson with the Ravens. You know, he set the blueprint of how to win with this style of quarterback, a guy that's so dynamic with his legs. You make it one or two reads, and you go, and you basically cut off half of the field, and you say, freeze those linebackers, have a slot receiver who's just streaking open downfield because these linebackers don't want to be getting beaten on in, in film saying, why didn't you stop the run? Why didn't you, you know, stop the guy's leg? And you see a guy wide open. But, you know, like I said, and I'll say the same thing about LSU. I've been just as disappointed in Denbrock as I have in Napier at Florida, which is that you need to make things easy for your quarterback, especially on the road. You need to get him. Go ahead. 
The question is how though, right? Because mm-hmm. we can say, we can say all these things. And, and, and as, as you'll hear with Tebow, like he kind of brings this up of like, we, we, we think that high percentage throws are automatically swing passes and screens, but mm-hmm. if that's not the type of thing that really gets you going, and sometimes you can overthink that. I've talked about my issues throwing the ball back to the pitcher. I dealt with that in high school. I had the yips as a catcher for a while. And mm-hmm. certain guys, they can overthink that. And it doesn't necessarily feel like a high percentage throw. And in some ways, it gets you even more in your head. So what is what is that get right? And because Anthony Richardson has 143 career passing attempts, mm-hmm. he he doesn't know himself yet. I truly think that there are some things that he is still having to, to figure out every single time of like over the course of a game and how, how mentally that impacts him. Because again, when you're limited as a starter and you haven't had those full reps to deal with the ebbs and flows, even within a game, even within mm-hmm. a game, it's just different that meant that mentality. So it's, it's a, it's a complicated thing because he has shown he can do everything. And he's also shown that he can do nothing. So yep. how do you how do you harness that as best you can if you're Billy Napier is the question? Um, yeah, I, I think a lot of that also comes down to ETN. I think ETN has been really good for them, and I think that you know it's all about you know we talked about these RPOs and stuff on option on offense, you know, making defenses make decisions. I think that that's the strength of what this offense should be is that there is two wrong decisions and one right one. That's how I would do it. And you don't even make Anthony Richardson even responsible for that many of those. You just say, Hey, you know, let's get a little bit of a fake here. Let's, let's try to see if we could get this defense off balance because for a quarterback, this dynamic, you know, the defenses have not, I feel have not been confused enough by the play design. You know what I'm saying? So I, I think that on the road, hopefully this is where they start to simplify that playbook and not try to make him be, you know, uh, Kyle Trask and not make him out there win individual matchups. I, I, I hope that this is the game that he can truly start to grow into himself because this is going to be a heck of a quarterback matchup. And obviously Hendon's a little bit older. This is uh, the last time they'll play. And so I think I, this is going to be, you know, Tennessee's best quarterback since Dobbs and, Florida's, you know, hopefully their guy of the future. It'd be great to have these two really have a game under both of their belts where they're at a high level. There's a there's a play that that Napier should steal from Mullen that Richardson ran to perfection last year against LSU. Mm-hmm. And that game where Damian Pierce was lined up in the backfield with him. There's a shotgun set. And I think it was like he took one of those, it was like one of those things that Florida, I feel like Florida does this more than any other team in the country where Richardson will take like two or three steps forward and do like this drop step. And then you realize, Oh no, it's a pass. It's not just mm-hmm. a design quarterback keeper. And all mm-hmm. the while uh, you're, you're seeing it's, it's not like a, a wheel route that goes into the flat. It's a wheel route. That's actually like up the seam yep. and Pierce. I remember ran wide open on that like mm-hmm. backside and he hit him and he had this big throwing window and Florida's got some backs that that I think can can make some plays out of the backfield. We'll see if they can do it at the level that Damian Pierce does. Every Florida fan is <laughs> to get the ball enough, of course. Maybe, yeah, starting NFL running back Damian Pierce. We're starting to learn those teams were not as untalented as we had thought yes. at the time. Yes. Kyle Pitts is like a uh, 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 borderline Pro Bowl tight end as a as a rookie. <laughs> rough, rough start this year, but yeah, yeah, you're you're right. I mean, loaded yeah. loaded with talent, but I would love to see some stuff like that as well and make Tennessee have to have to respond to that. Tennessee has not one of these has not won one of these rivalry games since that Florida game 2016. Mm-hmm. Got to get on the board. Got to get wait a minute. 
No, it was the Georgia game 2016, right? Yeah, they won. Oh, brother, uh, they 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 beat Georgia and Florida in 2016. Right, the boot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The most the most insane way a team could come in like third in the SEC East. They did that. Have not won a rivalry game (laughs) since 2016. Was what I was. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. You got to get this one. This you talk about what this would mean for just in terms of recruiting, in terms of establishing Josh Heupel as, hey, I know what I'm doing in the SEC. This is one that you do not want to lay an egg. That's going to be an awesome atmosphere. Cannot wait to watch that one. 3.30 on CBS on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Vandy, number two, Bama. Bama's a 40 and a half point favorite. Right, no, let's go to a little. If you, if you were wondering why we spent so much time on this game, now you know. <laughs> <laughs> let's do a little deep dive on uh, on Jermaine Burton here. Uh, the over under I have sixty one Jermaine Burton receiving yards is the over under. That's what he has total through three games so far. Mm. We must never forget that he was a first team All SEC receiver in the preseason, and Cedric Tillman was not. We told you then it was pure insanity, and it's even crazier to think about now. I dug into this for a column that I wrote. Um, so I'm not just trying to be a hater, even though I did think the Burton hype was way overblown coming into the year. There are some pretty rough numbers through three games. He ranks number one on Alabama in targets with 16 and passing down snaps with 94. And he's only fourth on the team in catches and sixth in receiving yards. PFF has him graded number 42 among SEC receivers. Take that for what you will. He's not even among the top 50 in the SEC in receiving yards. And I know there was that overthrow that Bryce had on the deep ball on Saturday, but the lack of separation for somebody with so much SEC experience, the guy who has more SEC reps than anyone on your team, and it's not even particularly close, that to me is troubling. And I chalked it up to a few things. One is that in addition to him still working to be able to try and develop that rapport with Bryce, he's also being asked to operate a, a bit differently than he did at Georgia. And here's what I mean by that. At Georgia, he only went out of the slot about uh, maybe five times a game. He was mostly lined up out wide. At Alabama, he has just as many snaps either in the slot or in line compared to out wide. Because as I said, throughout the throughout the offseason, Biggest question that they had to, that they had to answer in the passing game. This team had over 1,100 slot snaps to replace coming into the season, and it was only worse when JoJo Earl went down. By my count, Burton only got three catches so far this year when he's been lined up either in the slot or in line. And the in line one was where he came in motion, and it was a little like a just a teeny dump off that I think was actually behind the line of scrimmage. So I think you double tap the A button on Madden when you're <laughs> basically, yeah, yeah, that, that's basically what it is. I think it's fair to say that teams defend Alabama's passing game differently than Georgia's. You know, at least Georgia's last year. That's not a crazy thing to say. His two touchdowns came in press man coverage when Alabama was inside the five yard line back in the Utah State game. I also think that with Burton, that part of this disappointment so far is because there was this misconstrued perception of what he was at Georgia, especially last year, and what he could be at Alabama. Some thought that he'd be this great deep threat. Last year, he only had six catches for 20 yards. That was as many as Kamari Gamble, Florida tight end, and Kayshawn Booty, who played in six games. Okay, And if you say that it was just the offense, then tell me why Brock Bowers had 15 catches of at least 20 yards. Wasn't just the offense, okay? It wasn't like they were just throwing five-yard dump-offs every other play. That's not what they were. This year, Burton does not have a catch of 20 yards yet. The downfield passing game overall for Alabama has been a major issue. Crazy, Mm -hmm. crazy stat that I dug up. Through three games, Bryce Young has as many 30-yard completions as Joe Milton. Tennessee backup, Joe Milton. 
Yeah. Oh, we know we know who Joe Bolton is. <laughs> yes. Which, is, you got gotta start wondering if the rest of this Alabama team is just plotting on Bryce Young's downfall because this man is struggling so hard for no reason. It's like, dude, he could hit a rope 70 yards down the field. And he's just nobody's getting open. Think about this. He does not have a single completion of 40 yards this season. Mm-hmm. Last year, he led power five in completions of 40 yards. He had 18 mm-hmm. of them. And they don't have any yet. Replacing Jameson Williams was never going to be Jermaine Burton's role. That wasn't right. going to be what he was brought in to do. And that's why Alabama went out and got Tyler Harrell from Louisville at the end of spring. Because they looked around and they're like, we don't really have a deep threat. But replacing John Mechie is the kind of role that I think Burton needs to be able to take on. Because Bryce is, in addition to lacking that deep threat, he's also lacking that possession receiver. And I don't <laughs> no, think... I'd be happy. I'd be happy if you replaced Slade Bolden at this point. <laughs> right? I mean, seriously. And all the drops that he had, like, goodness gracious... They're, right. they're struggling to find those reliable options. I, I don't think that you can expect a low-volume deep threat like Tyler Harrell to be a possession receiver when he comes back. That's never been his game. Even if he does give off some Jamison Williams vibes with the way he's able to stretch the field, I don't think that it's going to be the same sort of impact. But Jermaine Burton needs to start showing it. Having said all of that, all of that, <laughs> I think he goes off on Saturday against the Vandy pass defense. That's really bad. They're number 108 in the country. I'll take the 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 Bama minus 40 and a half. I'll say the AJ Swan hype train. The AJ Swan hype train, um, which we will talk about a little bit in Bold and Brash. That's a real thing, apparently, which I found out this week. Um, I think it slows down a little <laughs> bit and Bama rolls in this one. Man. Vandy, Vandy over hitters <laughs> on this day. We as soon as they hit the over, we're going to slander them. I sorry if I looked uh, distracted here, Kyle. I was just looking up some numbers after you said the Jermaine Burton thing. So Jermaine Burton, uh, like you said, co preseason. Well, not co, just first season. Uh, first team All SEC in the preseason. Eight receptions for sixty-one yards with a seven-point-six average. Kayshawn Booty. 10 receptions for 93 yards, and a good bit of that was against Southern, who just lost by a billion points. Cedric Tillman, 17 receptions for 246 yards. And he's not even a leading receiver on his own team. Jalen Hyatt's oh. actually leading them. Yes, and they have, uh, oh boy, Baru. They have an embarrassment of riches. But yes, an average of 14.5. I'm not, again, I'm not a hater at all. I would have kept Booty on there and, and replaced Burton with Tillman. But the fact that you could add up literally their receptions and get more and add up their yards and get less <laughs> than Silva does right now is exactly why we were furious about this as a preseason. Just wanted to throw that out there. But yeah, I, I think to your point, this is a bad, bad week to jump on Bama because they are going to really just wreck Vandy, I think. But again, you know, if you're Clark Lee, it's nice to have a little measuring stick game. You don't want your team to get, hey, you don't want them to start earning those jerseys, the right. name on the back of their jerseys too early. All right. You're what? You got your three wins. You've hit the over. All right. Your your vote for the first place in the SEC is looking like a good move here. So let's bring them back to earth just a little bit before they start claiming themselves anything they'll deserve. Right. It's hard to get the lads fired up when you've already popped the champagne. You know, it's tough. It's <laughs> the champagne difficult. is you gotta just pop the champagne before Bama Week because all the all the champagne carriers are gonna just kind of waddle back after after Bama Week. Just just please do not allow any human being with any sort of Vandy affiliation to say the words, Bama, you're next. Just we don't need that. Yes. Right? Yeah, we've already tried that. But again, we've been Vandy appreciators this year. We like the things that Clark Lee is doing. We, I had the over. I don't know, but we were going to. I did we not. Thought, we've, <laughs> well, we thought we'd be discussing the over. It's already done. We're in week four. You know what I'm saying? So good props to what Clark Lee has done. But you just never, ever want to play Bama. If we could just put Bama in space and not have them play anyone, that would be very nice for me. 
as far as I'm concerned, any points that Bandy scores on Saturday, that's gravy, right? Yeah. You're in, you're in that type of territory. So just if, if you, if you're able to, to lose 48, 42 to seven, that's a win in my book. That's right. keep adding to that over. They're going to keep hitting it every oh, single yeah. week. All great. And yeah, is what we call down the bayou. <laughs> All right, let's go to a more entertaining game. Number 10, Arkansas. Number 23, Texas A&M. This one in Arlington. A&M's a two-point favorite in this one. Kind of surprising. Kind of surprising. The over-under, I have 325 passing yards for A&M. Why 325? It sounds like a lot. It's because it is. That is the fewest amount of passing yards that Arkansas has allowed in a game so far. And it was against Ben Bryant, who was making his first career start in the opener. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, If you're wondering why the Aggies are favored, that's it right there. The Hogs are dead last <laughs> in FBS and pass defense. They are 67 yards per game worse than the next closest power five team, Northwestern. That is bad, real bad. Mm-hmm. A big part of that, obviously, the Jalen Catalan injury. Having Miles Slusher out has been pretty brutal. It's looking like Slusher is going to be back. They thought he was going to be back last week. He's hopefully going to be back this week for Arkansas. I don't know that that totally fixes all of the issues that they have had because I saw him get get crushed a few different times last year in the latter half of the season. If Drew Sanders, Jordan Dominic, Zach Williams, if those guys don't get get home, it's all she wrote. That's it. Mm -hmm. The funny thing is we talked a lot before the season about how desperate Arkansas was to improve with getting pressure on the quarterback. Arkansas leads the nation in sacks right now. They lead the country. Those three guys are at the top of the SEC leaderboard in sacks right now. They're going to like this reference. Barry Odom's pass defense has become John Carlos Stanton. Okay. When they connect, it's massive. You get the Drew Sanders lefty fist pump, which is early, early leader in the clubhouse for my favorite celebration in college football. Favorite celebration in all of college football is the waddle. I do like the waddle. It's, it's kind of a cool thing that everybody fire, does. Yeah. yeah. Even though you can admit that. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it, when that happens, it's a backbreaking play. It's huge. But much like Stanton, when he commits too early on a curveball and he looks like he's never swung a bat before, Arkansas's misses in the passing game are bad to watch. Real bad. Never a good sign when you've got dudes running in big open spaces and you're just left wondering, wait a minute, why was there nobody within 10 yards of that guy? And it wasn't even some trick play. It was a curveball. That's all it was. Just a curveball, all right? You didn't mm-hmm. throw an EFIS pitch. That's just a routine curveball that you swung way too early on, Giancarlo. What are you doing? <laughs> so, obviously, that's good news if you're AM in theory, because if there was ever a time for your passing game to get going, now is it. If you think I'm blowing that out of proportion, by the way, talking about the AM passing game, go ahead and pretend that being ranked number 99 in the country is okay. Or better yet, tell me how having fewer red zone trips than Iowa is a positive. Yeah, that's real. Possible. That's uh, look. But <laughs> AM's trailing. The, the, they have three. Iowa's got four. That's real. Real okay. thing that we're talking about right now. Yeah, that's that's the state of affairs. That over under of 325 passing yards kind of got me thinking, Will. How many times in 40 games against Power Five competition has AM had a quarterback hit 325 passing yards with Jimbo Fisher? So let me repeat that. Okay. How many times in 40 games against Power 5 competition under Jimbo Fisher has mm-hmm. he had a quarterback hit 325 passing yards? 325. Let's go with like 10 too nice. Let's go like eight. You're too nice again, Will. Oh, man. Is it five? It's four. Oh, That's it. Man. 
I try to be nice, guys. I really do. <laughs> 2018 Clemson, which I that game was like that game was a win for AM as far as I'm concerned. That was the arrival. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 2018 South Carolina, 2019 Auburn, and then 2020 Florida, which was a huge win for Jimbo Fisher to be able to upset that Florida team who was off to a great start that year and, of course, went on to win the East. The good news for AM, you don't necessarily have to have 325 passing yards just to beat Arkansas, but it would help. And it would also help if they got Evan Stewart back from the curfew exp- uh, suspension that he that he had last week with the three other AM players. I'm really tempted to pick AM because in a game of mismatches, Arkansas has a pretty big one. They really do. And even if the even if the Hogs are better defending the pass, I could picture Anaya Smith or Devon A. Chain catching something between the hashes, squeezing through the collapsing safeties for a long touchdown or two. I could definitely see that happening. This is all about adjustments, though. Mm-hmm. Barry Odom has adjustments to make. He knows it. So does Jimbo. You got to simplify that offense. Can't be shuffling four different pieces of paper on the sideline. Looking, <laughs> I mean, you just can't. You can't be that guy showing up like it's your first day of college and you're just in over your head. Everybody's got the laptops out. I'm just referencing Legally Blonde here is all I'm doing. Um, mm-hmm. And you're just sitting there like just completely lost, swimming in your own knowledge that you really don't have. Um, what, like I think, hard? though. Wait, say it again. <laughs> what? Like it's hard? <laughs> So legally I had to break the yeah, I had to break that one down the other day. Anyway, that movie never gets old. 20 mm. years later. Can you imagine making something like that and, and still having people be able to quote it 20 years later? Just a song, a movie, anything. I mean, mm-hmm. people in 20 years will be saying friends don't let friends bet on preseason Heisman favorites. We expect that. But still mm-hmm. impressive nonetheless. I don't think I can trust Max Johnson to do the heavy lifting, especially considering. That with that odd Garrett Nussmeyer usage in the LSU Arkansas game last year, Max basically only got a quarter against Barry Odom's defense. You know, I'm skeptical about a quarterback facing the Barry Odom defense for the first time, at least in years past. That's been a thing this year, not so much. What I do think I can trust is KJ Jefferson and Rocket Sanders pounding the rock against that young AM defensive line. Thunder and Thunder. That's the new nickname we're going. KJ and Rocket. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Sticking with that. Too early for me to point out that at the one quarter mark of the season, Rocket is on pace to break Darren McFadden's single season rushing record at Arkansas. Too early for me to say that, so I won't. But not too early to say that I think Arkansas is the better football team, even if it does have that obvious weakness. I think the Hogs win 24 to 21 and make it two in a row against AM for the first time since 2011. Will, how do you see this one going? You know, that's really funny. I had to go ahead and double check that because, yeah, it was TJ Finley that actually beat Arkansas in 2020. Um, the I, Some would say his really only good win is a college football player. Only time he's won, Only time he has won a game in which he has attempted 25 passes. Yeah, that's, it says something about it. a lot of things. Anyway, so point being, yeah, I think, uh, gosh, I mean, it's so hard for me to pick A&M here. And, like, I, I – it's – that that game was such a Max Johnson game against Miami. Like it was just so like we don't know why we're winning this game, but yet we're winning this game, and I'm pretty sure we're going to continue winning this game. And it was just his numbers weren't any good, but like somehow, and we were both like bigger on Haynes King and didn't think that Jimbo would actually have the you know the moxie to to use a PG word to actually make the quarterback switch. And we talked about it in the preview pod, right? That losing the App State is probably what caused A and M to beat Miami. Because if they had yep. just had a Agreed. rocky road through App State, they would have stayed with Haynes King, yep. and they would have gotten beaten by uh, hopefully a 
Tyler Van Dyke, who just decided to show up to work that day. I don't know how that. Uh, they're, they're pass catchers. <laughs> they're pass catchers are brutal, man. You can't hold yeah, that against bad. them. Yeah, no facts. But uh, no, gosh, that guy got hit in the face with that ball. <laughs> Sorry, that replay was like, oh. Anyway, so point being, um, yeah, we got to take that one in after we came back from Tiger Stadium. But point being, um, yeah, I, I, I. I like Max Johnson in this offense because whenever nothing goes right, that dude has more reps than any SEC quarterback maybe ever. <laughs> like, but at the same time, you know, this is now. I'm sorry, I don't want to get this one wrong. This is in College Station. No, no, no. They play this game in Arlington. We know that we play this, okay. play this game in Arlington every year. But with the exception, I think with the, yeah. Oh, with the you're right, dude. It's the way these are, are are like listed is always confuses me. You're right. It's a neutral site game. My bad. So yeah. That being said, I mean, I feel like this was Arkansas's kind of like coming out party last year. And I feel like, you know, this defense, this is like when that defense kind of like got their stripes and uh, a good, good move on the John Carlos state. And I always say, uh, it'd be like a Chris Davis defense and people say, mm. which one? And I say, pick, pick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a is Chris Davis or O is Chris Davis. Either is the same player, but yeah, point being like, I think I, I, I would hope like, okay, a dream for uh, defensive backs that don't really know what they're doing is that play a Jimbo Fisher offense. And I say that like not even slanderously, but it's like we've talked about, like there's like three dudes running routes. They're not really getting into the separation. They have some athletes, but schematically it's not like you're seeing us on a motion or guys like you don't need a ton of communication on defense to be Jimbo Fisher. So that being said, I, I, I like Arkansas here. I think that the past defense thing is a big deal, but I don't think A&M is the team that can really like exploit a weak pass defense, especially if they're getting pressure in Max Johnson's face. Yeah, I, I do think this is going to be a good game. I, I'd be surprised if it got lopsided either way. These teams mm-hmm. seem like they're destined to play a really close, down-to-the-wire, physical sort of game. It was a fun game last year, even though it was 20-10. to 10. I yep. still felt like this was this was an exciting game. You had the explosive play early on with Burks where he gets free. And it was still kind of interesting because KJ went out in this game. Hornsby had to come in, and then they, they had the fumble issues and whatnot, and KJ comes back in. And um, it, it was it was interesting from that standpoint, even though it was such a frustrating day offensively for AM, You're still kind of like you're just, I, I, I still came away pretty impressed with what both of these teams were able to, to do defensively uh, for the majority of this game. But, yeah, I think maybe we get a little bit, tiny bit more scoring in this one. But ultimately, I think mm-hmm. Arkansas comes away with a victory, kind of establishes, hey, we are the number two team in the SEC West, at least. Lock of the week. Will, we're back. Oh, we yeah. are so back. Shout out to Scott Strauss. He tweeted at me last week. It was SpongeBob holding up the old uh, box of old reliable. Yep. Inside it, it read, bet against Indiana football. Yes. <laughs> yes, it worked out perfectly. I thought I was about to get robbed at lock of the week after Indiana came back late against Western Kentucky, who missed what would have been a game-winning field goal. So I thought Indiana was going to win it with a touchdown in overtime. They were going to cover minus six and a half. Lock of the week was going to fall to 0-3. I was going to have to come back here, tail between my legs, talk about how <laughs> I kind of suck at this. Don't look at my my picks against the spread on the SDS account. It's, it's pretty bad. Your boy's struggling uh, big time, <laughs> but not so fast. Good old Indiana blocks a field goal, and then all they need in overtime is a field goal to be able to win it. They start off four-yard loss from Sean Shivers. Connor Bazelak gets sacked, and then Shivers gets stuck for no gain, but Indiana drills a 51-yarder to win it. They don't go to double overtime, mm-hmm. and lock of the week is good because Washington, Kentucky covered plus six and a half, so it's alive. We're one and two. We're fine. We're going to figure things out. I think I need to start uh, putting a little bit more love behind the Oklahoma team that I had in the college football playoff, especially after the Sooners just boat race Nebraska in Lincoln. Oklahoma is a 13-and-a-half-point favorite against Kansas State. I know Kansas State made me look dumb for the Mizzou game. I know that fully where. 
But then Kansas State made itself look dumb for scoring 10 points and losing to Tulane. That happened. Pretty bad. Will, do you know how many yards per attempt Adrian Martinez is averaging this year? Oh, gosh. Don't be too nice. <laughs> Let's go four. 4.6. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's got one touchdown pass. Florida fans are going to make the joke. I'm not going to make the joke. Not Florida fans. Uh, everybody but Florida everybody fans. Everybody but Florida fans, yeah. Yeah, my bad. Uh, he's averaging 101 passing yards per game. Not great. Probably not going to get it done against a team like Oklahoma. Oklahoma's allowing 5.7 yards per pass attempt. They're allowing 2.77 yards per rush. And they're allowing just 10 points per game so far. Why? Because they have Brent Venables. Brent Venables mm-hmm. knows what he's doing. I will take Brent Venables against Adrian Martinez all day. I think they win that game by at least two touchdowns. Am I crazy or is this going to be Kansas? Kansas is Kansas State going to be my kryptonite? No, yeah, I think I'm 100% with you on Oklahoma. You know, we were trying to sip the Kool-Aid last year with the uh, the Grinch defense, but as mm-hmm. they – it just seemed like Lincoln Riley. The longer we know now, I wish I could have that pick back because we just didn't have all the information. You know, we weren't wrong. We just didn't have all the information. So I, I think finally with Brent Venables, um, it's going to it's gonna matter. I want to bring something really quick uh, to your radar. Every college basketball blue blood is 3-0 right now. I sent this – Crazy. I sent this stat to my buddy the other day. It said, Kansas, UNC – Duke and Kentucky are all three. I know he's a Kentucky fan. I was like, it's pretty disrespectful for for Kentucky to even be included because they're also like a really good football team. And he just goes, well, you know, it'd be more appropriate to put Indiana. And then we're like, or Syracuse. And then we were just like, oh my gosh, every college basketball blue blood is having a great football season. There's probably one or two I'm forgetting. Like Gonzaga doesn't really have a football team, but point being, yeah, like it's, it's just very funny how wild this season has been. They're like all these like struggle bus teams, not saying, not quite saying Indiana is there. However, I think you were right. In your betting, we'll just say that they're bad. <laughs> they're well, they're good. they're pretty rough, man. It's uh, look, with all due respect to Connor Bazelak and Sean Chivers, um, that that is your one-two punch is is a tough combination. They're leading the Big Ten right now, Connor. Come on, they're in first place, right? Uh, yeah, one and zero. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which I guess no, win. they're technically not leading the Big Ten. Well, no, Penn State only has the one the one conference game, but um, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. they also beat up an SEC team. And yeah. They won't be number one for long. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's kick it to Tim Tebow and Alyssa Lang, two of my favorite people in general in this business. With Tebow, talked a lot of Florida things, how to fix Anthony Richardson, got some updated QB thoughts from him as well. And then with Alyssa, talked about South Carolina's issues, who needs more love in the SEC. And then we ended on a little bit of a different note. So here's Tebow, then Alyssa. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Tim Tebow. Uh, Tim, we're going to dig into a lot of Florida, Tennessee things, a bunch of quarterback stuff, uh, but you're here with the All-State Good Works team. If I'm not mistaken, you all have settled on a final roster. Tell us about that. Yeah, the final 22, which is honestly so hard to narrow it down to. 11 from the FBS and the other 11 is made up of FCS, uh, NAI, Division II, Division Three, and then the honorary coaches, uh, Coach Stoops from Kentucky, and they're doing well in everything right now. And um, so it's just, it's a special group of young men. It really is. I mean, when you look at these 22 and the impact that they've made um, in their communities, in their cities, in their states, but also even around the world, Anders Carlson for, you know, Auburn doing stuff in the Dominican Republic, Caleb Williams, his anti-bullying stuff, you know, all over the West Coast. Um, uh, Dylan Gibbons from FSU, uh, uh, big man, big heart campaign. I think they've raised maybe like two hundred five thousand dollars now for it. Jeez. It's just, it's so cool. So you just got 
a lot of these young men doing special stuff and um you know, gosh, I can't even tell you how many of them have used some of their NIL money to be able yeah. to bring towards nonprofits. That's been really cool. Just special young men doing really special things and fun to be able to celebrate them. I remember having a Kobe Dean on last year with the Good Works team. And I came away from that interview just saying, oh, like he gets it. And so that's yeah. why when all the pre-draft stuff happened, it was that much more surprising because you're like, this human being, anybody that sat down with him knows right. how good he is. And that's why he was obviously right. honored by you guys. No, but it, it, he's a perfect example, right? He was a part of the team, massive part, but then you would see his leadership, right? And his style and why he was such a, in a room of alpha males, he was one of the most alpha males. Yeah. And it wasn't because I'm, you know, he's a bigger guy, whatever. It's because man, his leadership, those intangibles, decision-making, you know, and it's just so special to be able to see. And he was an awesome member of the team, you know, last year and accomplished so much on and off the field. Um, and, and this year, I think we have, uh, you know, 22 new amazing young men um, that are just, yeah, some are super gifted on the field, like Caleb, but man, they are all making so many choices to give so much to others off of the field, which is really cool. So through three games, Anthony Richardson has been uh, a roller coaster, and it's kind of similar to who he was with Dan Mullen. Flashes the incredible ability. Uh, you know he's electric in space, but obviously the decision-making, the touch on his pass is still an issue. What have you seen from him so far? Yeah, I think uh, it's fair to say what you said about a roller coaster. Um, I think the other thing that I would um, uh, put into there that's really important is I think he needs to play with elite confidence. You mm -hmm. know, I think we, when he's been going, you could see that carry over, right? And when it has started to go against the offense, you know, um, or the team or him, you know, it, it's a little bit more hesitation, question marks on it. I think play with elite confidence. If you make a mistake, make it going, you know, a million miles an hour and, um, you know, play with elite confidence. And then I would say another thing to gain that confidence is he's got to be willing and the, the coach has got to help him get that going. And for everyone, it's different, right? But understand, you, you know, how you work. For me, I love getting going early. Meaning if, I, if that just doesn't feel right, I want to run net 97 Q power and I want to hit someone, you know, you know, between the eyes as hard as I possibly can and it would settle me down and get me into the game, right? And, you know, I would, okay, here we go. And what is that for him, you know? And I think we saw it against Utah at times where you would say, dang, this, he's taking over. And then I, I think at times against Kentucky, it would look like, you know, he's, he's questioning everything. And even times um, Saturday night, questioning, you know, and, um, and I think you can help him with those question marks by gaining, you know, more and more confidence in the read, in the system, um, in his receipt, all of that, you know? And I think that would, that would go a long way. Okay, so that, that's, and I'm glad you brought that up because I, everybody's kind of wondering, all right, how does Billy Napier get him going? How, what is the the get right? Okay, this is going to be able to kind of get him into rhythm, get into a flow of the game. You talk about how you want to hit somebody between the eyes. Maybe there's somebody, there's something like that with Anthony Richardson, but is it just as simple as, as swing passes, as screens, these high percentage throws? Because Jordan talked about that a lot on the broadcast, and I thought it was a great point. Those high percentage throws just have not been there so far. 
Yeah, I, I think it can be. I think there were more. They they were there more in the Utah game, though. He did a few more of those in the Utah game to get going. And I think you also saw some over routes that he hit um, Ricky Pearsall on, especially early, that got him going. Um, you know, it's going to sound. You know. Um, maybe some people might not fully understand is we think that sometimes the swings and the shorter passes are easier and, and, and sometimes they are depending on what it is but sometimes for some quarterbacks myself being one of them I'd love to take a shot early you mm. know um, and so you know that maybe that's something that gives him a little confidence too um, and so I, I, I think it's what's important is is you understand the player. All of us are different, right? And so, you know, have the conversations. Hey, Anthony, what, what do you feel like gets you going? What do you feel like calms you down? In the middle of the game when it doesn't go our way, which by the way, it's gonna happen all the time, if not every game at certain points, right? You know, um, what, what's gonna be that trigger to help get you back with the momentum, right? What, after you, you miss a read, after you, you know, um, throw one into the dirt. I mean, listen, the, the best of the best do it. We saw, you know, Aaron Rodgers had an amazing game, but he even threw one, you know, um, into the dirt when he was throwing one of his running backs. And he's probably one of the gift, most gifted passers of all time, if not the most gifted, you know? And so I just think it's so important that we all have these mechanisms and practices that when we get skewed a little bit, we can get back on the, on the right page. And I think it's not doing what I would do. It's not doing what you would do. It's doing what's best for him and what's best for that system, that offense. And that's where I can't necessarily answer that is I can give my opinions, but he's someone that he has to be able to answer that for himself. And sometimes that, that's one of the areas where I thought we got really good at Florida is when I could walk over and I would, you know, um, tell Dan or tell Urban, I need this. I need it personally, not just the offense, but to get going, I need it, you know? And, um, and that would, and they were so good of, of letting me get that so that I could get back into the rhythm, get back into the feel. Um, and, and I, I, I really have been encouraging and want, you know, AR to be able to, to be able to speak into that. Hey coach, I need this to get going. I need to feel this. I need to do this. I need to just let one rip, you know, whatever that is, you know, like, you know, I, I, I played with some pitchers that man, they were like, dude. I just want to be able to let one go, you know, and, um, you know, early. And, and so they would be like, okay, now I'm ready. Now call your changeup. Now call your sliders. Now get everything ready. So it's just, it's honestly knowing the player and setting it up for him to feel as comfortable as possible. Help me help you. Makes That's sense. That's right. That's right. So this is crazy to think this is his first career road start on Saturday at Nealon, which we talked about him so much, but you know that adrenaline is just going to be going through the roof. I got to think Florida's game plan for this one, run the football, run the football. You you have something with that offensive line. You have something with Montreal Johnson. It looks like Trevor Etienne is going to be a stud as a true freshman. Does Absolutely. it seem like this game plan is obvious for Florida? I, I think that's what you get to. I don't necessarily think it's where you start. Mm. I think when you run out and you know they, they line up the T and everything and 110,000 are going crazy, I think I, I don't go downhill to start it. I, I tire them out a little bit. They're, gonna, they're all going to be coming. Tennessee's feeling like they're back. You know, they're going to be playing physical to start. I think I, I do some, some 
and play actions. I use their aggression against them. I get them going one way and then I come back the other side. I get their speed and, uh, um, because they are fast defense. They're not as physical as, you know, most, but I get their speed, use their speed against them. I try to take some shots. I try to get, you know, Anthony involved early in the game, maybe even in some empty motion, a tight end back and run a, you know, a cute single back power, single back counter with them. Um, um, you know, there, there were several teams that ran that really good the other night who, um, uh, Penn State ran it really good in the red zone against Auburn. Some plays that I was like, ooh, you know, this would be really good for, you know, for an Anthony to get going early in the game. And then once I get into the game established, you know, two, three drives in, now I think that's if you're Florida, you pound, you pound, you pound. Um, keeping it away, ball control, keeping it away from Hinton Hooker in that offense. So that would be a little bit of how I would probably go at them. You talk about Hinton Hooker in that offense, quick strike ability. I hate to do this to you because everybody like I, I get crapped on for for quarterback rankings and stuff like that all the time, and mine are already all over the place. But you had Hendon Hooker at number five in the preseason rankings. Our guy Peter Burns reminded me of this: forty-one touchdowns, two interceptions since he became the starter at Tennessee, which is crazy to think about. You had him at number five there. Would you put him higher based on what he's done so far? Are you still a little bit kind of wait and see? Would you rather see him beat a rival? No, I, I, I it, so with that, first of all, I did it in about 15 seconds because that's <laughs> right before we went on. And it's all about, it, it depends on, on what you're looking at. If you're saying who's better in college football, I would have adjusted mine. If you're saying who, who is a better quarterback, meaning who would you have drafted for the potential in the future, which I was going more on of kind of a, a like looking at it as a draft, um, and so that's where it's different. If you said right now, I, I adjust a lot of mine, like in who I think is going to be better this coming weekend. But I was evaluating mine more for if I'm drafting in the NFL and I'm drafting sure. a player, you know? And so that changes everything. But I didn't have Stetson in mind, and I think Stetson's one of the best, if not the best player in the country right now, you know? I don't draft him one, but I think he's one of the best right now. I have, um, uh, you know, um, KJ Jefferson, you know, he, he's made some fantastic plays. Didn't have a good first half, play, played a lot better in it. So that is such an, it's based on how you're viewing it and the question you're asking, right? And, and also it's the scheme. And so I get that, you know, the touchdowns, interceptions, that's important, but also the style of play that they run plays into that. And I would say where Hinden could take the next jump in my mind is, um, in the biggest games and in the biggest plays, meaning downfield shots, you know, they, 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 because they missed shots, not because they didn't have them. They had a bunch of shots against Pittsburgh and they missed them over and over and over again on third down, um, early in the game, missed some deep shots missed a deep crosser, you know, that changed the game and that separates you. And I think for, for Hinton to go from five to four to three in that rankings, which he can, because I love his heart, I love his makeup. I think you've got to hit some of those plays. And then I also really evaluate in the biggest moments in the biggest games, you know, yeah. is, is that's where it has to be. You have to be that dude. And I think he can, I think he wants to be, you know, and that's where this year, starting really this weekend, he's going to have that opportunity and that shot. Um, which is going to be really exciting. But I think if you just back up and you look at SEC quarterback play in general, it's good. I mean, it's an exciting year, right? It's a little bit of a roller coaster, but you got to be talking about, you know, you're talking about Bryce Young, the, you know, last Heisman Trophy winner, Stetson Bennett, who's got to be in the top three right now. If you're honestly 
looking at just this season, I think you're looking at the top three guys. I think Caleb Williams is up there. These aren't necessarily one to three, but Caleb Williams has to be either CJ Stroud and Setson Bennett. For what they've done so far this year, all three of those guys for three weeks, and still early, so don't freak out everybody, but all three of those guys have made a serious, serious case. But no one more so than Stetson. Yeah. What he's done has been incredible. And, and then you look at Will Rogers, Mississippi State. He's playing some elite football. K.J. Jefferson, Hendon Hooker, you know, um, A.R., not to the same level, but his highs have been as high as, as anybody. He's just got to minimize the lows and, and better decision-making. But Will Levis, also someone, dude, when he's on fire, it's, it's silly. Uh, I mean, his talent level is also off the roof. So, And Spencer Rattler, another very gifted quarterback, you know, that um, – also, his lows are a little bit lower than most right now. So it's a fascinating time. That's why I think it's – I look forward every weekend on Nation to talking quarterbacks because it's like, dude, this thing's crazy. It's a roller coaster, but it's awesome. Yeah, there are some years in which it's been brutal. And then this year, it feels like every single week we're going to get at least one, probably even two or even three of these matchups with great quarterbacks. And a couple of weeks ago, this felt a little bit different with, with what Anthony Richardson looked like that for Utah, but it's still potentially going to be a great quarterback matchup in Neyland this weekend. How do you, but how isn't do you... that what makes it crazy though, right? Because think about last year LSU game. He was amazing. Think about Utah. He was amazing. The last two weeks, not amazing. And so what does he show up this weekend against? If he shows up back the same guy against Utah, it's, I also think even though it's not consistent, it's still fascinating. Like who's going to show up, you know? Yeah. I think Tennessee's probably wondering like, dang, which guy's going to show up? We don't want the guy that played week one. Who do you uh, who do you see winning that game? Because obviously everybody's everybody that's in wait and see mode with Tennessee is like, all right, well they've lost sixteen in a row to rivals. They haven't won since twenty sixteen against an Alabama, Florida, or Georgia, but they're a ten point favorite. So how how do you see that playing out on Saturday? Well, I didn't even know they were a ten point favorite. Um, I think it's a super competitive. I think for Florida, it is so crucial. The point you brought up about being downhill, controlling the game, running the ball, I think that is massive. I just think it's 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 got to happen second quarter, third quarter, late in the game. I think a, a big thing for Florida because they don't have the depth defensively. You can't play a lot of plays um, defensively, you know, because Tennessee they want to run ninety plays offensively and tire your your defense out. And so when we go back two weeks ago and we look at the App State A and M game, that defense for A and M played great. But they they got so worn down because because their offense was so bad. App State got to run 90 plays. You're a different defense on play 30 than you are play 90, right? And I think that same principle is so important for Florida. Florida won't be the same defense on play 90 that they are in play 30. And you got to keep that defense fresh. And if Florida has a chance, it's because their offense can control the time of possession. It, and this is where I think it's fascinating to get into – it's why one of the things that's so fun about football, it's not just about scoring points and getting stops. It's how you're, it's the plan to win. It's how you're setting up your defense. And, you know, sometimes it, the best thing is not just to go try to take some shots and either score a touchdown or go three and out. Sometimes the best thing is, is because our plan to win is we have to keep our defense fresh in the game is to be able to control the time of possession and, and everything. There was even be times when I was at Florida where we thought, hey, there's something where we can take advantage. And I'll go and say, hey, I think we can get a big one. 
And, you know, Urban will pull me to the side and say, yeah, but look over there in their defense trying to catch your breath and say, I need to have at least three first downs. Yeah. And then let's take a shot and see if we can score. But because that's how we're controlling the style of play throughout the game. I think that's so important for Florida in this game. Control the style of play, not just try to match Tennessee up and down the field. Um, you, you had a phenomenal breakdown of Spencer Rattler and I, I, I want to get you out here on, on this. And I got one other thing I want to ask you about, but you guys broke him down on SEC nation in a, in a, what I thought was just so spot on. And, you know, you said his biggest strength is also his biggest weakness and it's that arm. I, and I agree. I think it's like a high school kid who gets a Lamborghini for his 16th birthday. What concerns you or excites you about what you've seen so far from him? What excites me is the same thing that has since he was in high school. It's giftedness. What concerns me is a, a, a little bit of the being on the same page, which that can be fixed. But then the same tendency, when I get pressure, I bail. I go backwards and I set my offensive lineup to fail. I escape a deep right because it's my, it's my, where I, my throwing shoulder and I can run and make good throws on the run. But you can't do that against Georgia, you know? You can do that when you're at Oklahoma and you're playing, you know, some of the lesser schools earlier in the year. You can't do that against Georgia. He realized it. So I think he can be, everything that he's gone through, he can be coached. But I do think there's some patterns of tendencies that show up over and over again, you know? And so that can be worked through. And I still think he's got some of the most elite arm talent in the country. But I also think there's some of these tendencies that he's gotten into where I have to rewire a little bit of that, all right? Whatever the, the play is, let's say if it's a three and a hitch and go one to two to three, I got to trust it. I got to three and a hitch, step up, go through my patterns, one to two to three to my check down. If not there, now I have the ability to, to make a play, but I need to be careful of not just having one tendency where I'm always breaking contain a certain way. And um, because, man, the, the great ones in this league, the, the Kirby Smarts, they know that. Yep. You don't think they're going to be coaching for that? Um, you know, it's something um, like, you know, when I played for some of the best coaches, the Belichicks and those guys, they not only would be coaching for those tendencies, they would also be coaching to rush to his left arm, rush to, you know, his left elbow, look for that in the passing lanes. So many little things, right? that these coaches are teaching that when you show those tendencies, it just puts you behind the eight ball to even start the game. Last one for you. I saw you said on Dan Patrick that you auction off your Heisman every year for charity. Luke Bryan has it right now. You got a Georgia guy. He, to he be had the- it last year, last okay. year, but okay. it's now someone new now. You got a Georgia guy to be the highest bidder on your Heisman trophy. That's gotta be like the best accomplishment of your career, right? Uh, it's definitely up there, but he also tried to do some not super honorable things to it. He, for Florida, Georgia, he put a Georgia jersey on it. He put peanut butter all over the Heisman to let his dog lick it off. Um, he did it. He did some other funny things, but I also got him back um, by I, I got hit one of his CMA of the Year awards from his wife Caroline, and I used that to do a bunch of fun pranks with it. So. Um, <laughs> So it's been a little bit of a back and forth. Tim, really appreciate the time. Uh, everybody should go to just try and consume all the, the Good Works team content that you've got with Allstate. Really, really great stuff. Love all of the, the light that you're shining on these, these great student athletes. Really, really cool to see. Really appreciate the time, man.
Thanks, brother. And I love how love how much you study the game, man. It's fun to talk about it. It's cool. <laughs> that means a lot coming from you. Really appreciate it, man. Thank you. Talk soon, brother. Now I'm excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is our good friend, Alyssa Lang. You can find Alyssa on roughly, I don't know, like a billion different SEC programming shows right now. Um, it's, it's probably easier to just list the shows that you aren't on, which I was trying to think about this. Like, what shows are you not on right now? SEC This Morning and SEC Final are the only two that I can come up with. I do do SEC This Morning, just not the TV version. I okay. do Tuesday Thursdays on radio with CD. So I think football final is the only one <laughs> so far that uh, I don't have my hands in. So if you hate me, tune in on Saturday. I will not be on the air on Saturday. <laughs> we, we've talked to a couple of different times lately on your airwaves. So I haven't got a chance to ask you a question other than why you inefficiently spend money on stadium hot dogs when you're like looking at $2 a bite. I think it is. Um, you know what? Actually, let's let's start right there. Give me your incorrect opinion on why hot dogs are the best stadium food. I just, and I know we've disagreed with this before because like you just said, you know, you go money per bite. I can't say I've ever thought of it that way. I'm just kind of follow my stomach kind of gal. Um, but I just feel like hot dogs are easy to eat. You can load them up with whatever. They're very customizable. You know, it is difficult to mess up a hot dog in a stadium environment. I feel like that's not to say I haven't had some bad ones at various sporting events, but I just feel like the hot dog at a sporting event is the old reliable of food. You know, the, the nacho cheese might not always be melted the right way. The burger might be kind of overcooked. The chicken tenders might be too breaded. I just feel like a hot dog, you know what you're going to get. And you can't go wrong. And it's filling. So I go Too hot breaded. Two breaded chicken fingers? What? what? Like, like much breading. Like, I want to taste the chicken, you know? I don't know. Maybe a brat with some grilled onions on it I'd rather have than a hot dog. Because you got to get two. You can't, you can't just get one hot dog and be good unless you want a snack or something. And then you're just eating for fun at that point. Well, some, some of the hot, it depends, right? Like, are we talking Costco size hot dog or are we talking like a small, you know, the ball, ballpark Frank or whatever it is? You know, I prefer to go for the industrial size Costco size hot dogs because I feel like then you're getting more bang for your buck at that point. Um, but if it is a small one, yeah, I probably got to get two. Probably got to get two. That's fair. Um, okay, true or false? Let's get to the serious stuff. Uh, South Carolina would be undefeated and number one in the country coming off of a win against Georgia if Sir Big Spur had been renamed Cock Commander. <laughs> true, one hundred percent. No, I'm just kidding. Um, that that was honestly one of the hardest lines that I had to walk last week because I had just seen Georgia in week two uh, demolish Samford in ways where we saw them play some flashes of ugly football and they still demolish Samford. So we go into South Carolina week and I have so many Gamecock friends, alum, uh, classmates. We're going down there. They're so excited. They're like, do we have a chance? And I'm like, let me put the fan cap on. No, we don't have a chance. Let me put the broadcaster cap on. No, there's no chance. Uh, but maybe, you know, I guess we'll never know about Sir Big Spur. If, if his name had been caught commander, maybe it would have been national championship. Who knows? Who knows? Never know. It's, it's sad. It's, it's, it's going to be a great sliding doors moment for the 2022 season of what could have happened because right now it's kind of ugly. It, it's, it's ugly. What, what's the, the spin zone for South Carolina? Because Saturday was bad. We knew it was probably going to be bad. And I know you've got half of the defensive starters out. It's still early for Spencer Rattler in this new offense, but 
there's something that's so deflating about the good vibes team of college football, which South Carolina was in the offseason. When you see how far away this program is from being at that, let's get to Atlanta level. What's what's kind of the spin zone that you're looking at for this team right now? You know, and this is something that I've said throughout the offseason, and I still believe this now that we've got three games on tape into the year. This could be a step back year for South Carolina when you look at the final win-loss record at the end of the season. You look at the schedule, you look at how good Georgia is, you look at how good Kentucky is. Kentucky's a team that South Carolina has over the last five or so years really struggled with. Same with Tennessee and that offense. You mentioned South Carolina's defense down several starters at this point. That Tennessee offense is one of the fastest moving, not only in the SEC, but in college football. That's going to be a challenge. So those are three SEC East opponents right there that you already knew, okay, it was going to take a lot for South Carolina to be able to put a W up against either or all three of those SEC East opponents. Uh, I've tried to tell South Carolina fans to be cautiously optimistic about this year, because even you look back at last season, a couple of those games, the ball bounces the other way, and that could have been a three-win football team. I mean, you look at the Vanderbilt game, they win in the final seconds. Troy gave them a game a season ago. There were some dramatics in the Auburn game last season that ended up going South Carolina's way. And all of a sudden you look up and maybe you're not a six win team. Now, the most important thing at the end of the day and not to take any credit away from that 2021 squad was that they did get the win and they didn't come in and they did take care of business. I do think though, when you look at what's happening around South Carolina, the fact that they had Arkansas on their schedule to start the season as well, it's going to be a challenge. This could have been or and could still be an improved football team when we get six, seven games into the season but it may not reflect that if you're just looking at the numbers when it comes to the end of November. That's my opinion. We'll see if that changes at this point. Uh, I think Shane Beamer deserves a lot of credit for the way he answered some of those questions after the Georgia game. You know, we, we played that sound bite from a year ago. It got a hundred five stars and that hasn't changed. Right. Um, I know there was some questions about how intense South Carolina's locker room was. Was there still some fight after that game? I mean, these guys are getting demolished and they're still out there trying to make something happen with 10 people in the stadium. So uh, pump the brakes, South Carolina fans. I know it's easy to get excited about Shane Beamer, like you said, the good vibes team. And I love that. I don't regret that. I don't wish it were any different. Um, but we know that doesn't translate on the football field. Shane Beamer knows that. And there's still a lot of work to be done. You saw Georgia, albeit against Samford. I always like to not look too deep into that. I think that's pretty standard at this point when you have a team that's just so dominant. But what's the overall sense that you get from Kirby related to, to this team's vibe and who they are? Because I don't know if him moving Stinch out of the way, physically moving him out of the way of that thundering herd that he was about to get trucked by was kind of a microcosm for the way that Kirby is treating anybody in his way this year. But it doesn't feel like he is coaching this team like a group that has a bunch of new guys on defense. It feels very much like he's like, okay, this, this I'm going to coach this team the same way that I coached last year's team. Yeah. And, and, you know, I would say I walked away from our Friday meetings going into that Sanford game really impressed top to bottom, not only by the players that we spoke to. We talked to Chris Smith, uh, one of their safeties in Stetson Bennett. We talked to Kirby Smart and both coordinators, Todd Munkin and Glenn Schumann. And we walked out of that meeting. I left my post-game interview with Kirby then on Saturday 
and I, I went to Taylor Zarzer and Matt Stinchcomb. We're riding in the car on the way back to the hotel. And I said, man, he sounded a lot like Nick Saban over the last 24 hours. I mean, every little detail, we're disappointed in this. We didn't execute here. We're up 30 to nothing. And he's just absolutely in Stetson Bennett's face, trying to make sure that he's doing everything that he needs to be doing to get back to where they were a season ago. And you always wonder about that championship hangover, right? Like, will some of these older guys come in and say, oh, we're on top of the world. We can't be beaten. There is literally no sense of that at all, at least from what we saw uh, on Friday. And that was something that Chris Smith talked about, especially when it comes to that defense, right? We asked so many questions about how will Kirby replace all of that NFL draft talent that they lost a season ago. And Chris Smith said that they obviously knew that those questions were being asked. And that was a point of motivation for them to say, whoa, 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 like we're still good. We've still got some talent on this side of the football But another part of that, and the reason I think why Coach Smart has been so intense is the fact that they have so many young guys who have been thrown into serious roles, especially on the defensive side of the football. You look at a Michael Williams on the defensive line. You look at someone like Malachi Starks in the secondary. These are two true freshmen who were essentially told during camp, you got to be ready to play. We're trying to replace all these guys that we had on this team a season ago. Like it's not necessary necessarily a hey, we think you're talented. Like we're we're ready to see what you can do. It was a, no, you got no choice. <laughs> we need you to step up and be part of this football team. So they haven't missed a beat. Uh, it was a very serious atmosphere. It was a very intense atmosphere being there in the building on Friday. Uh, And I think that was my biggest takeaway from what I saw from them. And that's what scared me the most going into South Carolina week was, man, these boys do not truly do not care about what they did last season. And and to add on to that, you know, Stetson Bennett talked to us a bit about that 2021 defense and rightfully so all these accolades, generational defense, potentially the best that we've seen so far in college football. And he said, those guys deserved all of that. But as an offense, we felt like we left a lot on the field last year. And we felt like there were things that we could have been doing better to get more people to talk about us. And look at what this offense is doing now this season. So that combination of Kirby and Stetson and that intense Saban-like mindset that we've seen from Tuscaloosa for so long, I'm seeing a lot of that in Athens right now. Last week, we talked about how we, we both felt like a lot of people were sleeping on Mississippi State. And I watched Saturday. I thought that was a wasted opportunity for that team. What did you yeah. make of that? And did you kind of think that meant more for Mississippi State or for LSU and the way that it kind of responded in the fourth quarter after being down in a game where it looked like, man, it was it was it felt like a repeat of Florida State for a while. Yeah, you know, I'm so confused at this point by LSU. I don't I don't know what to make of LSU at this point in the season. You know, that Florida State game was absolutely wild. They dismantled Southern and then they beat a Mississippi State team by having a massive fourth quarter that I, I didn't see coming, right? You mentioned it. I thought State would win that game. And I know LSU, at least the last time I checked late in the week, was favored, obviously, with it being in Death Valley, being in Baton Rouge, it was a huge aspect of it. But I'm looking at Will Rogers in this state offense over 400 yards every single week. This LSU defense is looking kind of questionable at times against Florida State. We have so many questions to answer. I was shocked. Uh, To answer one of your questions, though, I think it was bigger for LSU, certainly, for them to be able to defend their home turf in that way two weeks in a row against a very hot Mississippi State team that 
they've had success against the last couple of seasons. I remember talking to state fans a year ago when they thought they were going to beat LSU easily in 2021, and that didn't happen. So uh, more questions, I think, for Mississippi State for me now coming off of that game. But, man, impressed by LSU. You start conference play like that with that kind of confidence, with getting your fan base engaged after you know really being able to – get a win over an air raid offense with Mike Leach that has looked just as good as it did a season ago. I think that's going to be a big boost for them. Jaden Daniels is still running around like a crazy person. So we'll see how that lasts throughout the season. Um, Shocked by it, but bigger for LSU for sure. I'm not sure if you're on, on, are you on the call for a game this weekend? I'm not. No, Okay. not. So you had, uh, I, I imagine I imagine you had Tennessee fans reach out to offer to fly you to Neyland to be there this weekend on Saturday because we know that the Vols yeah. don't lose when you are in attendance. Or alternatively, is Trevor like, "Hey, I can't, I can't have you, I can't have you there because he's a Florida grad." So uh, that's going to be an interesting one because I am actually my friends and family don't care about me. I've been saying this. On- <laughs> I am not on the call for a game this weekend because I'm officiating a wedding for a family member. Um, yes. It's, it, they, my friends and family don't care about me. I was the maid of honor in a wedding last weekend. Ugh. So I didn't last weekend either. And there are people who are like, how in the hell are you taking off two, two Saturdays during football season? And then I tell them the situation, what it is. And they're like, Oh yeah, you're screwed. There's, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing. You, how do you, how do you not go Have less friends? have less at right right which i already only have like three and two of them are going to carry back to back uh but no i you know what i would gladly hop on a plane and go to neyland just because selfishly i think that's going to be one of the best atmosphere atmospheres we see all weekend long it is so strange you know i called a tennessee basketball game in tampa during the sec tournament and i can't i now I can't remember. I'd have to go back and look at the schedule, who they were playing. But I remember it was a close game and Tennessee pulled it out at the very end. And I, I looked at the Tennessee SID. I was like, here we go, baby. We're back. I think I'm either nine or 10 and zero at this point calling Tennessee games with Tennessee being involved in football or basketball. So that's wild. Uh, I do expect Tennessee to win handling. And I'm a little hesitant to say that after I said that about Mississippi State a week ago. Who are we if we're not firing off takes? Uh, Seeing Florida struggle the way they did against USF in the swamp this past weekend. Obviously, this Florida team, you talk about questions. We have a ton uh, for Billy Napier's squad. But Tennessee has been really impressive to me. We talked so much about the offense, but that Tennessee defense and the way that they have stepped up and improved over the first three games of the season from last year to this year, I think it's going to be a fun night for Tennessee fans. That's my early prediction. <laughs> what's what's the range of emotions that Trevor's had watching Anthony Richardson so far? So it's funny because I took a lot of heat for picking Kentucky to beat Florida. Same. Uh, a lot of heat you know Doring knows anyone who picked Kentucky like Florida fans left and right because I've been calling it a rivalry and a lot of Florida fans are like well look at the look at the total win loss I'm like yeah but look at the last five years like come on this is this is now a rivalry I don't care about what you did 50 years ago um so I took a lot of heat for that and it was funny because sometimes I'll read some of those tweets to Trevor and when I initially made that prediction in the preseason I read some of the tweets from Florida fans 
And he's looking at me. He's like, do Florida fans think that we're going to be favored in this game? Like, look at Kentucky and look at us. And this was about a week or two before the season started. Then Florida beats Utah. And just like every other fan, he's like, let's go. (laughs) Florida's going to win the national championship. We just beat Utah at home. This is great. Uh, And then we were on the phone. I was driving back from Athens to the airport and he's giving me play-by-play on the first 15 minutes, whatever I've missed from Florida, Kentucky. And he goes, man, Kentucky looks terrible. Kentucky looks terrible. (laughs) We're being, we're really physical. We're looking great. I said, well, what's the score? He was like, Oh, it's three, nothing. I was like, you're in for a bad time. Then if, if Kentucky looks terrible and it's only three, nothing, this is not a good sign for you. So he slowly towards the end of the game was like, okay, all right. Yep. Here, here we go. Here we go. So he's a very realistic Florida fan, thankfully, but man, that Utah game, you couldn't tell him anything. He was fired up and I was happy for him. I was fired up for Florida fans too. <laughs> Kentucky is kind of the team in the SEC that at least for, for a while, not, not necessarily this year, but maybe in the past years are like the team that, that more people should be talking about that they aren't. And of course, when you go into the swamp, now people are talking about them. They're in the top 10 who's someone in the SEC, either player or coach, that we should be talking about more because I think it's on the player side. I think like somebody like Quint, uh, Quinchon Judkins, the the tailback from Ole Miss, is really kind of emerging as that guy, that that game breaker that they, they kind of need in that offense right now. And then Alex Golesh is would be my pick on the coach side because I think he is to Josh Heupel what Jeff Levy was to Lane Kiffin. So who who's somebody that like you you talk about on your airwaves? There's like this. You'll bang the drum for them. This person needs to be getting more love in the SEC right now. So last week, I felt like I did that a lot for Will Rogers. I, I didn't feel like Will Rogers was getting a ton of love. You were on Feinbaum with me on Monday, and that was something that I talked about. You know, I think a big reason for that was Mississippi State hadn't finished a game before midnight central time at that point. So a lot of people weren't seeing Will Rogers. Obviously, then they run into LSU and they lose that football game. So that argument's going to lose a little bit of steam. I'm glad you mentioned Quinshawn Judkins because we had Ole Miss week one. And I've said this a few times on the SEC network, on the radio. I think there's a, a serious argument to be made that the entire running back room at Ole Miss is the best top to bottom in the conference. Cause you've got the Judkins kid, true freshman. They told us that essentially they realized that they were going to have to give him some playing time during fall camp. He started running over seniors and like making it look easy. And they're kind of looking at him going this, how how old is this kid? This kid is years old. You watch him run the football and it's every single box that you want checked for a running back, not to mention the TCU transfer in Zach Evans. They also have a transfer in Ulysses Bentley. So they've got three guys that they can look to consistently to really have some success on the ground running the football. So I, I think the running back room at Ole Miss so far has been overlooked. Obviously, everyone is enamored with the quarterback questions still uh, with Lane Kiffin and, and seeing if that'll get flattened out. Michael Trigg, another guy, the tight end mm-hmm. at Ole Miss, came over from SC, I, I think is going to be one of those guys who slowly, quietly puts numbers up throughout the course of the season. As far as a coach You know, I know that this coach gets a lot of love, but I want to go in a different direction for why, and that's Sam Pittman. And I will say that when it comes to this Arkansas team, I'll be the first to admit, I didn't necessarily buy into some of the preseason hype for Arkansas because of the amount of transfers that they had on that team. And I'm sitting here going, oh, they've got to be able to put this together. They've got to be able to gel with these guys and see 
how these guys truly fit into this offense with KJ Jefferson or this defense to try to help bumper pool. And I've been so wrong because obviously they gelled right off the bat and they've put together, at least I'll say the first two weeks, uh, some really impressive wins because I think Arkansas fans were panicking a little bit week three. I do think that was a little bit of a we're overlooking an FCS opponent type of uh, win. But nonetheless, what impresses me the most about Sam Pittman and what I think enough people don't talk about him enough when it comes to him being a head coach is the fact that he's been able to retain his core. Coordinators. And he's got a couple of coordinators who have said, I love coaching for this program. I love living here in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And they've got he's got two guys on that staff with Bryles and Odom who could get a head coaching job anytime that there's one open. Their names are always floated around for those positions. So the fact that he has not in his three years there in Fayetteville had to deal with that revolving door of coordinators and has been able to keep things consistent has been really impressive to me. On the other side, the way that Mark Stoops has been able to do the opposite with his offensive coordinators and continuously bring in NFL guys to help his quarterback run an NFL-style offense is equally as impressive for reasons on two ends of the spectrum. Yeah, I mean, his new offense coordinator doesn't look like me, so he can only be, you know, he's only got so much upside. But I, I do like what Rich Gangarello has done so far. And that, yeah. that Florida game, too, the fact that he stuck with the ground game, even though it wasn't working, and it was like, oh, we're going to stick with the game plan. And by the fourth quarter, it works out. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Stoops in, in his hires, it's all about your hires. That's that's and the I, biggest thing with these coaches. Another name that I want to throw in there, too, that I, I think should be getting some more love, and, and he won't because it's Vanderbilt, but Mike Wright. I mean, Vanderbilt's a while away before national media is going to be talking about them in that way. But you look at some of the plays that Mike Wright has made to keep his team competitive, win three games so far this season. Obviously, they lose that one to Wake Forest, and uh, Sam Hartman comes back, and we kind of knew that that could end up being a challenge. But Mike Wright... Not only from an interview perspective as a broadcaster, he's a pleasure to talk to, but he's really fun to watch when he takes off with the football in his hands. So just love him. He just lost his job, though. He just lost his job to AJ Swan. I, well, you know, but the first couple games of the season were, True. I, I feel like he deserves some credit for that. You win a couple games at Vandy, you deserve credit forever, right? Exactly. Like that's, that's the way it should be no matter what. Right. Um, I want I want to close a kind of kind of a different note. Um, we were talking about this a little bit before we came uh, before we came on air here. Uh, you're you're off of Twitter right now. You're you're taking at least a, an extended break, an indefinite break. Um, is is there a, a return date in mind? Will, will you will you ever come back? Are you permanently done? I don't know. Uh, and and you're right. For those who don't know, I finally got to the point where you know, in all seriousness, we talk about this a lot with student athletes, and we have a lot of great student athletes who do a lot of work when it comes to the arena of mental health. And you know this, Connor. You know, in our world, you're opened up to anybody, anybody who reads, watches, listens, uh, and that doesn't always mean the nicest people are commenting or tweeting at you. And it got to the point for me that. Twitter became such a negative and such a drain on my mental health. It was affecting me outside of work and it was affecting me sitting on the couch with my fiance watching TV and it was affecting my mood. And so finally it got to the point where my reaction to opening up Twitter at times became physical. And I really had to sit down and say, you know what, as much as this is great for my job and great for interacting with people, is it worth me not being able to sleep at night? Is it worth me constantly being in a bad place and a bad mood and taking that out on my friends and family and those around me? So I decided to put it down for a couple of days, see how I felt. 
Um, I did a few shows and I deleted the app from my phone so that I couldn't, you know, I, I got to the point where the next day I was automatically just trying to go open Twitter, an app that wasn't even on my phone. It was that robotic at that point because it becomes a habit. Um, so I did a couple of shows and I did not check social media to say what anyone was saying about me or to see, you know, anybody disagreeing with takes, which again is fine. Um, but unfortunately, sometimes those disagreements can be nasty and it's honestly felt like a weight has been lifted. I feel like I've lost a hundred pounds mentally, uh, no return date in mind right now. All I know is that, uh, I immediately felt happier within just a few days of doing that. I'm coming up on two weeks now of not being on Twitter, just Instagram. I scroll through TikTok. I don't make a ton of TikToks. I try, but I'm not that cool. Um, so yeah, I just would encourage anybody else out there, whatever it is, if it's social media or whatever else it is that's causing you that much stress in your life, it's not worth it. You can, you can take a step back. You can set that boundary. You can take care of yourself. And I'm trying to do that right now. And by sharing that, hopefully that helps anybody else feel less bad or less embarrassed about something so silly affecting you so much because it really does. And you talk to anybody, you know, I posted something on Instagram about it, which felt silly to me posting about social media on social media. Um, but it got to the point where I thought, you know what, if, if this can help somebody else feel that feeling of, okay, I can step away from that, or I can put that down, then that was worth it. And I had so many people reach out and say that they felt the same way about using social media in the year 2022 and that taking breaks from it was something that is important to a lot of people. So we'll see, maybe one day, maybe one day I'll get back on it. <laughs> I remember I asked you about it, I think three years ago or something like the first time we had you on, I was like, how do you deal with the comments? And like, with all due respect, that was kind of before you were on SEC Network as much as you are now. And when you're able to to host Fine Bomb and stuff like that, and you're doing even like so much more, you're out there so much more. And a lot of people don't fully understand how difficult it is not to search your... Like, even, even if I do like a 15 minute segment on Fine Bomb or something like that, I'll search my name afterwards. I'll be like, all right, what, what do people say about me? And it's it's so unhealthy. And for somebody in your spot, I don't blame you at all. And if you never get back on or whatever, like I, I'd be like, yep, I totally get it. That that makes perfect sense. I, I get I get hammered for a bad tweet on a Saturday because I said like, Sean Clifford, welcome to the SEC. And then they go on to win that game 41 to 12. And it's like, all right, I, all I have to do is mute somebody. Like, that's it. And I don't, I don't block or do any of that. But you deal with it in such a different, more personable way. And it sucks. And so anybody that's out there that, that like, it's very hard to relate to what you go through, but I tip my cap to you because it's not easy. It's not easy with all the peer pressure and all the brand building and stuff like that. So I give you a lot of credit for being able to say, Hey, this, this just isn't worth it right now. And there's no shame in, in that, in my opinion, whatsoever. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And I, and I know obviously our jobs are very, can be very strange if you're not in the business and some of those aspects of it. I talk with my friends who at work, what I would say normal jobs, you know, all the time about this and, you know, nobody is immune to imposter syndrome. That's, that's certainly something that I've learned the older that we've gotten, whether you're on TV, whether you're writing about football, whether you are working a nine to five, whether you're my best friend who works as a recruiter, everybody has some sort of imposter syndrome. If you don't, uh, you're very lucky. Yeah. <laughs> Pass on some advice for how I can avoid that. So uh, I think, you know, as much as we are exposed probably to more social media hatred, just by nature of doing this job, everybody has that thing 
that stresses them out or causes them to be maybe a little bit more emotional than others in every single walk of life. And I think battling that imposter syndrome for me has just turned into trying to listen to the people whose opinion I do value. And that's my bosses and my loved ones and my friends. And it's not Twitter. So why look at it? So that's little baby steps that I'm trying to take for myself. Alyssa, this has been great. Really appreciate the time. Safe travels with everything. Good luck officiating a wedding this weekend. I'm sure that's (laughs) going to be awesome. My fourth wedding, actually. (laughs) Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Thanks again. We'll talk soon. Thanks for having me. How about this one? I call it bold and brash. More like belongs in the trash. (laughs) Sorry. I must have missed that one. Bold and brash, week four, SEC quarterback edition. I put out my SEC quarterback rankings through three weeks. Everybody agreed with all of them. It was crazy. <laughs> I was um, talking to one of my buddies the other day who was like, just doesn't really follow the SEC. And I was like, you know, it's like there's a case for Stetson Bennett here. And he was like furious by that. I was like, no, like, look at the numbers. Like, he's having himself a season. He is. I, I felt bad putting Stetson Bennett for. Actually, why don't I, I'll just run through my rankings real quick. Why don't we do that and get see if we can get even, even more people upset? <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. I saw Bryce Young at one. Hendon Hooker is at two, KJ at three, Stetson at four, Will Levis at five, Will Rogers at six, Jaden Daniels at seven, Spencer Rather at eight, Anthony Richardson at nine, Jackson Dart at 10, Max Johnson at 11, TJ Finley at 12, AJ Swan at 13, Brady Cook at 14. Will, where do you think I got the most pushback? Was it Will Rogers and Jaden Daniels? <laughs> oh, I wish. I wish. Was it Stetson at four? Oh, no. In fact, <laughs> it was having AJ Swan behind TJ Finley. So, oh, oh, yeah. okay. All right. Yeah. No, for real. Um, I, I got, when I, when I tweeted this out, I, um, one of, I can't, I'm blanking on the name, the, the Vandy account. I think it's like Art Goldfinger. I think that's what it is. Um, the one. Yeah. Yeah. But he, you know, he's got a lot of momentum there. He's got the support of Vandy fans, brought up some stats about AJ Swan, um, mm-hmm. and compared it to TJ Finley and TJ Finley throwing the interceptions, uh, in non-conference play, even before Penn state. Um, Look, I, I gave Swan his Swan song the other day, even though it was his first career start. <laughs> oh, oh, what a dad joke. <laughs> his Swan song. Anyway. True freshman, one career start. Made some nice throws in a lopsided game uh, mm-hmm. late against a bad Wake Forest defense as well. He's still pretty unproven. And if you listen to the show back in the spring, I talked about Swan being a different kind of Vandy quarterback recruit as an Elite 11 guy. Um yeah, I, I don't really feel too bad about saying that TJ Finley at, at 12 is at least it, it, he's currently considered the starter until Robbie Ashford takes over. But uh, mm-hmm. TBD on that one. Let's see what AJ Swan does against Bama. I think mm-hmm. that'll be a little bit different than Northern Illinois. Good player. Made some great plays in that game. I gave him his love. I gave him right. his love. But yeah, if you're in my mentions about AJ Swan deserving that number 12 spot, um, I don't know. Just do something else with your time. <laughs> it's not worth it. I love it when people get like a little bit of ground to stand on. They're like, actually, Vandy should be better. You're disrespecting Vandy. Come on, dude. Anyway. Two through four, very interchangeable, by the way. Wanted to bring that up. Um, I I think that I I don't have a problem if anybody wants to put Stetson Bennett too. I don't. I I really don't. I nearly put him there because he has been phenomenal. And, And I haven't seen anything, though, from Hooker or Jefferson that makes me think that they're less than the guys that they were entering this season. So I thought they were both really good entering the season. I had them in those spots at two and three. Mm -hmm. And if we, you know, I I know the first half, it was a slow start against Missouri State, blah, blah, blah. Like, I I still think that 
you see, you see why KJ Jefferson is who he is in that game. And even though it took a little bit for that offense to be able to get going, I think it was a dial back offensive game plan. They're still still able to wake up. They win that game because of Rocket Sanders. But um, I still would love to have KJ as my quarterback. I just would. Um, I talked about Hooker with Tebow, and I know that there are Georgia fans listening to this who want to point to 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 what KJ kind of has been so far to start off the year or what he's what he did last year at Athens when he wasn't healthy. I, I just think after the year he had last year, he has actually improved. KJ has. He has improved his efficiency throwing, rushing numbers slightly up, and he is the undeniable leader of a top 10 team. And he's doing all these things without Traylon Burks, which that was the biggest question that we had asked. Mm-hmm. And we'll wait and see how that plays out over the course of the entire season. But I still think that's worth noting. I admit I was wrong about Stetson to drop in my preseason rankings. I have, hand up on that one but to move him into the top two i would need to see hooker or jefferson take a step back and maybe hooker's going to have a bad game against florida and that'll make me say you know what stetson's number two he deserves that spot stetson would be in my opinion right now where the odds sit best bet for the heisman he is at plus 1200 so 12 to 1 you'd be getting on your money and hopefully you got plus 8000 like my guy perry had in the preseason not bad drake may 50 to one. That interests me. That really interests me. And I realize that's partially because if they don't improve defensively, they could be six and six, but come on, have some faith in Chiswick. That's what I say. Uh, come on. And, and Drake may also runs pretty well. So if they go eight and four, nine and three, they just need to, and they need him to maybe put up some insane numbers. I think he's got a path to 45 touchdowns, but we can talk Heisman another time. SEC quarterbacks is what we are talking about today. And specifically we'll talk about week four. Do you want to do some bold and brash? Or you got any other SEC quarterback thoughts you want to hit on? No, yeah, I think like I said, I'm I'm probably <laughs> I'm probably way higher on Stetson. I think he's I I think he almost is a case for one. If you look at the way that they just beat the tar at Oregon, I would argue that's probably the most impressive win for an SEC team so far, right? So far, I feel like I mean Oregon are, are just beat BYU. So I I think that if you look at his numbers, the fact that he's so high in passing yards, yeah, he didn't have a ton of touchdowns or anything, but considering that you know he's it's young in the season and he has the best win and he has great stats. I would, I would probably put him at two and kind of start putting a little bit of heat on Bryce Young, who I know is a much better pro, much better prospect, much more talented, but in terms of, you know, the actual production on the field, I I'm pretty big on Stetson right now. And, and the great thing about him is he's about to get his doctorate from Georgia in this Todd Munkin offense. So this might be the yeah. time that he's like actually putting it all together and becoming like something else. Cause he's never been like a great stats guy. I mean, Georgia fans will get mad at me for that, but he's never put up like these these eye popping numbers. But yeah. he's like this grittiness to Efficiency. him this year. Yeah, yeah, right, right. This year, it's like he's kind of starting to have a little bit of that too. So it's been fascinating to watch him actually like improve every year a little bit. Anyway, I was trying to think if there was a better win because um, you could make the case maybe Florida beating Utah, but at the same time, it's like well, that that game was so down to the wire. And I get what you're saying, most impressive win, meaning like style points matter and the way that they just made Oregon look like a, an FCS team in that one. I think that that probably has to matter, but yeah, that's what I was staring off into the abyss thinking about. <laughs> no, you're good. Yeah. Okay. Let's go to the Saturday down South podcast, Facebook group. Thank you to everybody who contributed. Got a lot of responses. There is no way we will get to all of these bold and brash sec quarterback edition for week four. Let's start with this one from Tiffany R. Tiffany says Anthony Richardson still won't have a passing touchdown week four. It's a tough stat. Just is it. it and everybody's, I, I saw it thrown. I can't remember who had the original tweet, but the fact that he's got three tackles and no touchdown passes, like, mm-hmm. that's tough. That's tough. 
does have that sick two-point conversion, though. That should count for he a touchdown does. pass. He was in the end zone. People forget. They want to erase Anthony Richardson being in the end zone. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it happens this weekend. I think it happens. That's If he's still sitting there going into October without a touchdown pass and the passing deep, the passing offense looks as bad as it has in these last two weeks, then, oh, boy, we've we've got some, some serious adjustments to make for Billy Napier at that point. Mm-hmm. Jared Brown says, Calzada returns from the dead to put up 40 on Mizzou, somehow making the hot seat for Harson even hotter. Um, and that's from a Mizzou fan. Huh. Wait, so it would be making his seat hotter if it was like, oh, yeah, you were, you were your best quarterback was third string. I think maybe that's what Jared is saying. Yeah, Correct me if I'm wrong. Sure. Yeah. Um, Mizzou fan, not a lot of confidence in that defense. Mm-hmm. Don't necessarily blame you. I think they're going to be a little bit better than last year, but yeah, giving up 40 to Zach Calzada would be a really, really tough look. Zach Woodhurst says, Hennon Hooker has 400, 400 uh, passing yards, four touchdowns, while Stetson has four total touchdowns and 275 yards by halftime, and Vandy has one passing touchdown against Bama, no matter who throws it. That's gravy. Mm-hmm. Hey, that's all you can ask for. AJ Swan gonna get one passing touchdown. If he gets two, I might have to put him at like number eleven. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's the real thing. We gotta set the benchmarks early. And be like, if you get up to like two hundred yards, a couple of times, hey, we'll hear the the anti TJ Fidley slander all day here. I'm gonna have Vandy fans in my mentions talking about all the quarterbacks who have thrown multiple touchdown passes against Bama, and it's gonna be like some prestigious <laughs> list. And then Zach Calzada is also gonna be on it. <laughs> Like Cam Newton's like is Zach Calzada. Anyway, I just put Zach Calzada still in that spot where TJ Finley is instead, and just leave him right there, exactly like locked in at thirteen. It's like, oh, I can't put him ahead of Zach Calzada. Zach Calzada is even better against Bama. You know, it's funny though. We're talking about biggest wins. The biggest win in an SEC, an active SEC quarterback's career, might be Zach Calzada, and he is third of this career depth chart. Yikes! Anyway, might be. Uh, Let's go to this one from Chris O. Odomsky, Chris Odomsky, love the last name. I probably just butchered it, but shout out to my fellow Irish brother. Um, Chris says, Spencer Rattler has his first game looking like a former Heisman contender. It's against Charlotte. I hope so. I really hope so. In their defense, in South Carolina's defense, their start in terms of what they drew with guys in the trenches and being able to, to protect, really tough. Because even Georgia State, we knew we talked about that with Sean Elliott. Their defensive line was going to be ready to go. And they had some vets up there. And that was something that they were able to do against Spencer Rattler. If not now, then when? Mm-hmm. Now is the time where you really, you, South Carolina has two weeks where they need to exhale. They need a, a, a get the good vibes back. Because after the week that was, and after Shane Beamer is dealing with all this stuff with his, the, the, oh my gosh, all the people overreacting to the stuff about the Title IX thing, about him yelling women to get off the field. When it's like, you don't, you, have you just never been to a football game? You don't realize that he's yelling at the event staff. He's not yelling right. at, at individual people. Like that entire thing was just so overblown and the fake outrage of, of like all these people. I'm like, oh, this is, yeah. This and is you, super- you talk, I know you talked about this on Sunday, but like that question was so, Bush League, where like after the Georgia game, when the guy was like, You're sensing the give up in your team, like as a noun, like some give up as a noun. And it's like, What's he supposed to say? Like, yeah, these guys are all quitters in this locker room. It's like, Dude, come get out of here, bro. Like, this job is hard and he's doing a fine job. To be fair, there are people in this world, Scott Frost being one of them, 
who would throw their entire team under the bus in that moment. <laughs> it would say, <laughs> yeah, my yeah. team is giving up. <laughs> People keep trying to bait Brian Kelly into that. And he just keeps being like, these kids are fighting. <laughs> they, just like, look, they are. Fighting. They are fighters, man. <laughs> two fourth quarter yeah. comebacks nearly yeah. resulted in two wins against Power 5 competition. That's not an easy thing to do. I'll give him credit mm-hmm. for that. Uh, let's go to this one from Michael Dark. Michael says, by the end of week four, Georgia will have three quarterbacks with more touchdown passes than Anthony Richardson. So one. Mark Vandegrift on the board yet? I don't know. Carson Beck's looked pretty good. Yeah. He has looked pretty good. I I find my like I, I, I don't want to do the thing where we automatically turn the page to the next quarterback, but like seeing some of the plays that Carson Beck is making in limited reps. I'm going to be on that hype train. <laughs> I can tell you right good, now. Some good chapters hanging out back there behind the current season. Just Not saying. the current season's any bad. Just saying. Hey, everybody's already penciled in Georgia for two national championships the next two years based on their schedule. So, I mean, just give it to them right now, I guess. Mm-hmm. I can play the games. All right, I'm getting fired up. Let's go to this one from Chris Mack. Chris says... Uh, Let's actually, you know what? Chris was going to be mean to Anthony Richardson. Uh, we're not going to read mean things to Anthony Richardson after the one that we just read from Michael Dark. That's the last mean Anthony Richardson thing. Um, mm-hmm. Let's go to uh, what we got. Our guy Sarthik Sharma has. Oh, no, that's more mean Anthony Richardson stuff. <laughs> we're going to get to. Okay, Drew Page. Drew, who flew from Washington State to go to an yeah. LSU football game. Yes, that was electric. He had such a great time. He's a very quiet lad. And he was like, I don't know how to yell. And we were like, just cup your hands, buddy. He was having the best time. Doesn't know how to yell. What he's just that- very quiet. He's just, you know, but shout out to him. We were all, you know, we were all having a great time in, in Death Valley. We got like the tickets. That's the best part of not being a good football team is those tickets were so cheap and they were like first row. And he was having to like stand on the seat to see over these massive humans like Mason Smith. It was very funny. How do I yell is like uh smalls and sandlot. When he's like, I, I don't, I don't know how to how to throw, mm. and then he's got to come up to him and tell him, "You ever had a paper route?" And then he shows him the motion. <laughs> exactly, that's exactly how it went down. It was a strong showing for Drew. Just take him to Death Valley and say, "This is how you yell. This, this is, is how, how this you works. yell." Yeah, exactly. Uh, Drew says Auburn hires Dan Mullen before the game so he can fight Drinkwitz at midfield. <laughs> Mullen in this role is really interesting because he's putting his predictions and stuff out there on social media, which I think he's doing that because his agent told him, Hey, let's kind of keep you in the limelight. Let's, mm-hmm. you know, let's, let's kind of keep you out there. You can do the analyst thing. You can have the on camera stuff. You don't have to check your mentions. I don't expect you to do that. Mullen's Mullen's very much been like a one way street for the most part on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it's fascinating because a lot of these, a lot of these former coaches don't want to throw anything out there like that at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, very, very rare to see. I mean, Urban's not sitting there on social media throwing out his picks. He's not doing that. Listen, Mullen Urban's is. Been on social media enough, right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I've seen Urban sitting on social media. However, it didn't go that way. Yeah, Mullen, uh, Urban just discovered that people have camera phones last year. So <laughs> huge, huge moment for him. Life altering, some would say. Big revelation. Uh, our guy Emery Picker says Zach Calzada gets a mild concussion on the sideline and it brings out the QB savant in him. He emerges from the injury tent to throw for 400 yards and three TDs in a win against Mizzou. He had to get hurt to have that drive last year against Alabama. So, yep. Wow. Hey, there's something hurt Zach Calzada. Best win of the SEC. 
healthy Zach Calzada, third string. Maybe just give, give yourself a little jaw reset, like Coach O used to talk about. Get yourself kind of fired up for the game. Maybe you're better. I don't know. Is Zach Calzada the 2022 version of Henry Rowengardner? The the tight end? thoughts. Or the, who's, who's Henry Rowengardner? Rookie of the year. Break his arm. Throw 95 on the black. Henry Rowengardner. Ah, okay. Rosenberger. Somebody's okay. going to get that reference. I hope. For some reason, I thought you were talking about the West Virginia fullback. You should like smash himself in the head with the helmet. <laughs> <Anyway>. Yeah, that's <laughs> probably a better reference for this case. Yep, exactly. Uh, let's do a couple more here. Again, I uh, can't have two. You know what? Let's do let's do a, a positive Anthony Richardson one. We got a oh, lot of go. negative ones because I put an Anthony Richardson picture in here. That was my mistake. I kind of brought that on. Uh, Jason Talent says, Richardson throws for two touchdowns and runs for one more. Florida sends the Hillbillies home in shock. Florida 34, Tennessee 30. It's not a rivalry if you never win. Go Gators. It's never all positive here. <laughs> no. Those hillbillies. <laughs> all right, man. Yeah, sometimes I think about sometimes I think about just kind of running through some of those names. Yeah, we, there's there's a line, of course, but I thought hillbilly can slide. We're allowed to yeah, say listen, that. Listen, the people of Boone, they've been wearing that all week. So I think it's a term of endearment. Look, if you're in the SEC and you haven't been called a hillbilly once, come on. What are you doing here? When I had Penn State fans in my mentions for my bad Zach Calzada tweet, and I'm getting stuff like that of like they're, they're, they're saying like, I'm the, basically the biggest Southerner ever. I'm like, you don't know me. <laughs> it's, it's like the, the Giga Chad memes where it's like, you can't call me a hillbilly. I'm from Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ineffective. I don't know what to do with my hands if I'm not being called a Yankee. So you call me a hillbilly doesn't do anything for me. This is an upgrade for me, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I'll take that. Whatever. Sure. Fine. Uh, let's do, uh, let's end with. One more here. Do we have Anthony Richardson in here? No, we don't. We don't. Okay. Grant Haney says, <laughs> one, Charlotte keeps it close with South Carolina, but Rattler and uh, the sorority fans under the end zone bails them out late. I don't know exactly what that means. I'm not going to dig into that anymore. Um, two, Bryce fails to throw a touchdown, leading Bill O'Brien to pull an Antonio Brown and quit at halftime of the Vandy game to take his talents <laughs> to Lincoln, Nebraska. Bill O'Brien, a candidate for the Nebraska opening, many are saying. And three, the mailman has more yards after contact than Kent State has total yards plus points for the game. Stetson running through tackles, running through people. I don't know if this is the game you want Stetson running through people. <laughs> Let's save those the Super Saiyan for later in the year. Yeah, you don't need that yet. You don't need that just yet. Uh, let's let's end with some lad of the week, Will. What do you got? Oh, man. So you kind of foreshadowed it earlier. Um, ESPN would stop auto-playing this video. Okay, kind of foreshadowed earlier. We got Max Johnson. Mag- major week for him coming in in relief. And the most Max Johnson stat line in a win ever. 10 of 20. For 140 yards, that is seven an attempt, which is actually pretty high if you're not really completing that many passes. Um, had a worse QBR than Tyler Van Dyke, but it did not matter because he did the thing that he is great at, and that is find his best receiver and hit him Lock in. where he needs to be hit. That is how Kayshawn Booty broke the SEC rec- re- uh, receiving yardage record as a freshman, and how Anaya Smith had over half of Texas A&M's total receiving yards on just four receptions. He knows exactly how to say, I am not the star here. That guy is. And like we talked about, A-Chain, 18 carries. So that was a perfect Max Johnson game plan. He just... He ran the ball a little bit, got a couple of first downs with his leg, and just survived and advanced after a very bad showing last week. You know, we've talked about how Jimbo is on the opposite of the hot seat, and 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 they they did just enough this week to keep AM right in that discussion. And that's Max Johnson for you. Back against the wall, usually you on your side. I don't know how this thing is going to go with Max Johnson at AM. 
He's going to have a best friend, though, by the end of the year. No, yeah. And one receiver. <laughs> one guy. One yep. guy. He might alienate the rest of that locker room with the way that he he has his target distribution. He ain't exactly Bryce Young sharing the wealth here, mm-hmm. but he's going to have himself a best friend. And that oh, best yeah. friend is going to owe him, I don't know, millions at the NFL draft level. Maybe it's going to be Anaya Smith. Maybe that could be. Maybe it's going to end up being Evan Stewart. But Max Johnson, he he's he is a one-man type of guy. All right? He's, it's gonna be. We're gonna fast forward to his wedding in like five years. And it's gonna be like Keishawn Booty is gonna be his best man, and it's gonna be Anaya Smith. And like, <laughs> <laughs> you guys are my good buddies. You guys are all I need. His brother is like way at the end. He's not even the best man. It's <laughs> <laughs> just included. Anyway, uh, I'm gonna stick with the, the theme of quarterback. I'm gonna go with Chase Bryce, the App State mm-hmm. quarterback. Phil Murphy tweeted this video. If you haven't seen it, um, it's been making the rounds on Twitter. After they won the walk-off Hail Mary against Troy. We don't disrespect Troy on this podcast, but that was an incredible moment. Mm-hmm. Um, wild to be able to do that after game days in the house. And that atmosphere just looked incredible. Murphy had this video showing Bryce uh, amidst all the chaos of that moment. Going over to the wall behind the end zone to help students safely get down onto the field. I mean, like mm-hmm. right after he makes the throw of his life and he's going over to the wall and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, come down. Like he's instead of celebrating with his teammates, like having a good time, middle of the field, getting mobbed by everybody. He's like, oh, yeah, come here, true freshman that I'm six years older than. Make sure you get down. <laughs> like he, I was going to say, that's the veteran leadership you're signing up for at the transfer report. Let's take care of everybody. Make sure everybody's fed. Make sure everybody's yep. good to go. All right. That's why you have a 24 year old leading your program. <laughs> that's why you do that for moments like that you need an adult in the room chase oh, Price yeah. is your adult i loved it really cool well I, sh- I shared that with you earlier if you haven't seen it on on twitter go check it out great great stuff love to love to see that that's the type of stuff that we need in college football for all those people that are like oh the games are going to mean anything once the playoff expands blah 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 it's like no because you can still get that on a given saturday and that's that's what makes this sport so darn good absolutely love it you know what's funny is that every time someone talks about Chase Bryce, I imagine country music singer Chase yep. Rice, mm-hmm. and I can't like I fuse their faces together Same. in my head. So I just imagine like Chase Rice to look past this. Anyway, yes. Uh, on Sunday's pod, we're gonna have something a little bit tiny different. We got Joel Clack coming up on Sunday. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, recorded that with uh, I recorded that with him earlier in the week. So great discussion, a lot of big picture things in the sport. And also what it was like filling in for Gus Johnson when he had to leave the booth last Saturday in the Oklahoma-Nebraska game. So great, great stuff from Joel. Uh, If you have not, leave us a five-star review, subscribe, join the Facebook group, your name read on air with figuring out or bold and brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon. Enjoy week four.